time ago. Go, 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 go. That is a day. Yeah. Uh, you take away sleep from your life. Yeah. That's a day. That's a day's worth of wrestling by Wednesday. Yeah. And that's without going into the archives or mm. whatever it is. Or, or their original programming, like the one where they're telling stories. Story time. Ric Flair's version of Legends events is probably JBL. completely different to what the actual versions <laughs> of events are. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell And welcome to the annual tradition that is the Let Me Tell You Something Year in Review. It's the ongoing series of podcasts where two people discuss, debate, digress, digest and dismember the pro wrestling landscape and put it all back together. Maybe having learnt something along the way. But that we consist of myself, Lorca Mullen and with me as always is the Brian Pillman Jr. to my Griff Garrison, the Riddle to my Randy Orton, the Cousin Greg to my Tom Wozgans, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how are you doing today, mate? I'm doing all right. When you went through your breakdown of the year thing just then, I I had that Chief Wiggum quote in the episode where Marge, is, um, Marge has road rage. We'll break you down back to the level of children, then lunch... Then, if there's time, rebuild you back into decent member society again. Oh, we're not going to reach lunch. <laughs> <laughs> like the England cricket team. Did, uh, you looked a bit confused on the final reference. I assume you are not yet a succession viewer. Uh, not yet, no. Just before we started recording, we were talking about what the rest of our watch diary, our uh, viewing diaries are full of for the rest of the end of this year and I guess the start of next year Oh yeah. I would recommend Simon that instead of your plan of season 2 of The Witcher you get on all three seasons of Succession I probably will due to the fact that for those of us in the United Kingdom our social calendar is probably going to be incredibly free next month <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see because what might happen next month is what might happen at the start of the first month of this year, which was five five-star matches in the eyes of Dave Meltzer, or higher, within the first week of the year. <laughs> we were busy, busy beavers. Yeah, which would suggest 2021 was going to be the most magnificent year of all time. We would be free of the COVID shackles. We would have all of our new skills, our new abilities, and a greater sense of perspective on the values of life, and we would also not be haunted and bothered so much by Donald Trump and his crazy followers. They couldn't possibly 
make us despair even more for humanity and the fate of society in 2021? Could they? Could they? For the purposes of obviously research, uh, earlier today, as part of my note taking, I listened to uh, the predictions that we had made in our previous year in review. And uh, the hope in my voice of, uh, oh, 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 apparently this uh, the vaccine does deal with this uh, new variant found in Britain. So we'll probably be, everything will probably be fine. How wrong I was. <laughs> it's going to be harder to look at 2021 in hindsight, I think. It feels more of a mess because there was such a clear what the world was like at the start of 2020 to how swiftly it changed and how that change echoed throughout the rest of the year. 2021 has always been a series of fits and starts to us getting back to normality. Yeah, it's like a very old car turning over on the ignition. It is juddering. <laughs> I mean, I suppose we all thought by this time... Well, to be fair, I thought maybe it'll be a case that winter is when everything becomes a problem again. And it does seem like that's the case. To the point that it might be that getting a COVID booster is like getting a flu jab but just with a a higher take-up rates and maybe that's what december 2022 is gonna look like you've just got your new flu jab and your new covid jab and i guess i've never been one who took the flu jab before then but maybe now if you're doing it as a two-for-one package deal i might as well take you up on it that might be where we go fingers crossed I accidentally purchased a whole box of masks sometime in September, I think it was. Yeah. And I was worried that that was going to be a waste. It has not turned out to be the case. No. In, t- in a wrestling term, we mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the WWE as an example first because uh, they went from virtual screens to WrestleMania being the first time we had live fans back. Yes, and it was also the first time we had a WrestleMania which was affected by the weather. Yes, storm delay. Poncho Samoa Joe. (laughs) Even he could make a poncho look hard, bless him. Saponchoa Joe? (laughs) I will say for for, uh, listeners from non-cricket-based countries, that wasn't a rain delay. You wait, you yeah. watch Test Cricket in England, you'll see rain delays. That was the first one to be in front of a large-scale crowd, even though it was reduced in numbers. But what was also significant was they returned to how they formatted it in 2020. And that format is returning again in 2022. So it might be now, from now on, that WrestleMania becomes a two-night event. And that sounds pretty good to me. I would much rather have two, three and a half to four hour WrestleManias over one seven, eight, nine hour WrestleMania. From just viewing it at home to to being there, it's such a slog when it's all just over one night. Everything gets a chance to breathe Mm. with two nights. What I'm curious with that, though, is could it lead to smaller crowds in the instead of getting a hundred thousand people crammed in to the dallas cowboy stadium depending on how you're pricing it i would assume it's not going to be two lots of the same price they would reduce the price rates 
But they would also probably be making more. They're not going to halve it. So is that going to lead to, if they do Dallas again, would it be more like two lots of 70,000? Possibly. Your main problem there is, your main variable there, sorry, is the strength of the card. Mm. Judging at how things are going in WWE, I cannot see a world-beating card attracting people. But then again, I think people still are going to be, in this post-COVID world, people will take opportunities to leave the house more than they would have before. So maybe some fence-sitters will go along. Yeah, you say that. Well, when they went back to the crowds, what was it? Around August, July? Was that when they went back into the crowds? Yes, just after SummerSlam properly, I think. Or just before SummerSlam properly. But SummerSlam was a stadium show, wasn't it? Which was something I think I might have predicted would happen. Just a couple of weeks ago, someone showed a picture of the hard camera side of the crowd at a Raw show. Yeah. And it was even more empty than you're used to seeing. So whatever excitement that we did expect to happen, and was there for the first few months of WWE TV at least, quickly dissipated, and now the crowd seems just as indifferent as ever from what I've seen. Yeah, I guess it again comes down to strength of product. There's very little I remember from the second half of the year catching my eye. I think what's interesting now is that when WWE did things that were stupid in the past few years, say the treatment of The Fiend after the start of it, say Roman Reigns being put over and put over and put over and not going with the crowd, say the underutilization of someone who the crowd gets behind, like a Rusev or whatever, that was greeted with so much anger and frustration. Now, it feels like it's greeted by indifference. I think the angry people are elsewhere. Yeah. And they're not angry where they are now. But before we get into that, we did go a bit ahead of ourselves. One of the things we do in every year in review is we make predictions of what was going to happen in the next year. So let's find out what December 2020 Lorcan and December 2020 Simon, in our great wisdom, looking into that cauldron saying hubble bubble toil and trouble what we saw coming simon do you want to go with your own predictions first or with my predictions first because simon was the one that listened back and took notes for once (laughs) brilliant having listened back i'm going to go with me first to get to get the dross out of the way there we go brilliant um my first prediction is that raw would have a television rating under one million viewers now, you did a bit of research into that. I don't think it got that bad, did it? We were at like 1.3s, 1.4s. Mm. So I was a bit too much of a doomsayer there, really. I know that a lot of people will get to it, but a lot of people pointing out, what was it, that the Brian Danielson-Hangman Page match went under a million? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, why is it doomed for one and not for the other, some people might ask. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, my second pitch was that there would be a prediction, Robert. There would be a cinematic Royal Rumble. Yes, and cinematic wrestling is essentially gone the same way as... What were those... Well, I was thinking something that was more modern. What were those fidget spinners? Yeah, no, yeah they were called fidget spinners. You're fine. There we go. 
<laughs> You've never sounded so old whilst getting it so right. That's amazing. <laughs> oh. um, the third one, I maintain if everyone had worn masks and got vaccinated, it probably would have happened, is that Kenny Omega was to wrestle in New Japan in the year 2021. Mm. I was nervous with any kind of prediction to do with travel, I think. I think I wanted to do one for October, didn't I? But we'll, we'll get to that. And what was your final prediction? Did you get any right? Did you save yourself at the end, Simon? I did not. I did not. I predicted Will... Oh, wait, you did your classic... Oh, God, yeah, the annual tradition. No, 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 that was a bonus. Oh, you did Oh, okay. I did have a proper fourth, but I threw in, I did throw in the tradition as a bonus because you were so distraught when I didn't ha- say... I- when I said I didn't have it, you um, didn't have. It. Let's let's make clear what it is: a silly money money in the bank winner prediction. Because one year you predicted Tommaso Ciampa to win the money in the bank, NXT's Tommaso Ciampa to win the money in the bank, which usually means winning the world title on either SmackDown or Raw. You predicted that for NXT's five foot eight Tommaso Ciampa to do. And then you follow that up with who? Was it Adam Cole? It was Adam Cole, yeah. To be fair, you lost... It was won by Otis. So... (laughs) I'm just saying, mine might have been better. (laughs) My fourth actual prediction was that Will Ospreay would win the IWGP IC title because I predicted a separation (laughs) of titles. (laughs) So I was wrong there. You were doubly wrong there. Yes. You My... predicted he'd win a belt that would exist. <laughs> what are you going to do? And my crazy money in the bank prediction is possibly some of my craziest sounding ones now, considering what happened. Uh, Carrion Cross. Differently. Oh, God. <laughs> I went for a tall one this time. I thought I was safe. <laughs> you did not see the jock straps to come. <laughs> I don't think anyone saw that. The Zardoz costume that he was wearing. So, Simon, let's get the wiser, more correct <sighs> predictor. Yeah, you did do better. It's Yeah, I mean, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, your October-based prediction was one of your backups, so I've not mm. included it in the list. Uh, okay. Your first actual prediction was that Kenny Omega would hold four belts from different major t- uh, companies for four months or more. He held four belts for four months or more. But two of them were for one promotion. Yeah. I really thought that there was no reason why the NWA wouldn't want the rub of having him as their champion for a while. But, alas, that was not to be the case. Maybe that was a timing thing, more than anything else, to be honest. Because it makes sense what you're pitching your second pitch prediction not pitch was that sasha banks would score a significant film or tv role yeah i'm sure she auditioned for significant film and tv roles but nothing came of them she's still prominently out there i'm certain she's going to appear at some point as her star wars character again and then the question is, maybe she still wants a few more years left of doing some things in WWE. There's not a lot left for her to do now, though, to be fair. Not in that promotion, no. But she... Not with what she achieved with WrestleMania this year as well. So, 
But there's probably still some, there may be some non-WWE dream matches you might want to knock off at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if she gets announced as playing a role that she auditioned for this year. Yeah. But we haven't got the final word on that. Well, so I'm not right there. Things took longer to produce, obviously, with like isolation periods and what have you. Yes, so. of course. That, that production timetable is also a factor. Okay, your third prediction is that an NXT UK talent would leave of their own volition. We got into a discussion about this. I argued the case that Joseph Connors left and that it was not listed as a released talent. Which it wasn't. So there must have been some sort of mutual consent on that front. Which is which is what we both, the conclusion we both ended on, yes. Mm. Mm. Very nice man, Joseph Connors. Very nice man. Mm. Uh, and your fourth one, well, it, it looks like such a slam dunk now, but AEW to add a new title. And obviously we have the TBS Championship. No champion as of yet, but you said title. So that counts. So, yeah. Oh, what was the backup one about October? Was it that AEW would run a show in the UK by October? I think it was, yes. Uh, the two I wrote, I did write a couple down before I realised they were backup ones. There's two backup ones that I have listed. Uh, Roman Reigns would interact with The Rock on screen. Ah, uh, yes. Well, he interacted with something of The Rock's possession. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we'll get to that. And that your second one, which made sense before we realised quite how one way the traffic was going to be. Motor City Machine Guns to win the AEW tag yeah. titles. That was, that was some unfortunate timings. Alex Shelley had another with his personal life and his injuries and everything it just didn't quite formulate but i think uh 100 healthy alex shelley would have at least turned up on AEW and had a tag team match with chris saban against the young bucks at the very least that would have happened yeah and i just thought because impact had allowed an AEW talent to win an impact title usually you've got to return that you give something back but it's really a sign of the disproportionate relationship behind that, that not only did Kenny Omega win the Impact World title and TNA World title from a talent. He didn't have to lose that to an Impact or TNA type talent. He lost it to an alumni of Impact who then lost it to an Impact talent Yeah, in losing it to Christian Cage who subsequently dropped it to Josh Alexander who then lost it the very same night to Moose. And that's most of what I know about Impact. <laughs> you can feel the steam run out there. From what I understand, Impact is doing fine. And goodness knows they've got a lot of talent available to them to bolster their roster. And that's where they'll probably be going for the next year or so. Well, in terms of like gimmicks that were executed by, their, um, by the wrestler... They've got possibly one of the best success stories of 2021 in their ranks now. Uh, with Matt Cardona being under contract to Impact. Yes, we'll have to talk a bit more about that as well. So should we go back to the WWE and say what we feel like saying about them? Which is, what's interesting is that it's not a lot. They feel like they're in a world unto themselves. I think the most significant event of WWE's year, outside of getting to go back on the road is what they've done with NXT. Oh boy, yes. Yes. It's no longer the black and gold brand. It's the Jackson Pollock brand. 
And for all the annoyances there was, it's very obvious that the got the 1.0 era of NXT, or whatever we're going to call it, black and gold, had reached the end of its use as a vision of pro wrestling because it couldn't get the talents that it once was able to get. I was talking about NXT to a friend today, and I still think that 2015 to 2018 NXT overall is a better product than what AEW is presenting right now. If you have me choose which one I'd rather watch in isolation, I'd rather watch an NXT TakeOver and an episode of NXT for three hours than an AEW pay-per-view or an AEW Dynamite and a Rampage. Certain takeovers, I could certainly see the case for that, yes. They were so stacked. And they were only two hours long, and there were five matches, and they were all booked pretty damn logically. The logic of the booking would sometimes be undermined by what Vince McMahon would then do with a Shayna Baszler, or whatever. (sighs) Yeah. But for that period of time, we've talked about doing recaps and things of that nature, and one idea I've had is going through all of the history of Black and Gold NXT from the first episode in the Florida Center to... Well, I don't know, would you call it the the show before 2.0 started or maybe keep that going until the War Games match where they lose to the new team of, like, a bunch of guys I don't know the names of still and Bron Breaker. Yeah, I could see arguments either way. Probably the war game, so you could see how the change is being affected. Because it's become a lot more, I don't even want to say character-driven, but gimmick-driven. They've got a poker player. They've got a college professor. They've got a country club girl. They've got a mobster. They've got... um, Grizzled young veterans are now starting a thieving things gimmick. That British stereotype's being played up at the minute as well. well. To be fair, that was something that both the crowd and Zach Gibson were playing up anyway. They once had a street fight where he literally hit someone over the head with a car radio. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that wasn't fully, like, they're not on board with Look, that. I have a lot of affection for Liverpool, not just because they gave us the Beatles, but God knows they'll remind you they gave us the Beatles. <laughs> But I will also say that a friend of mine went to Liverpool to do a journalism course. And within two weeks of him being there, he had had the four wheels of his car replaced by bricks. NXT 2.0. I understand the logic of going with something different. I'm not convinced this is the way to go. I don't see any evidence in the entire history of his employments that the best person to develop new talent has ever been John Laurinaitis. The dream has constantly been to get another class of O2, that in one class you manage to produce a John Cena, a Randy Orton, a Brock Lesnar, a Batista and a Shelton Benjamin, and loads of other ones that also came from that long time. But that was under Jim Ross, Gerald Briscoe, Jim Cornette, Danny Davis in OVW. And... They still had to get incredibly lucky that those yeah. guys turned up at the same time. Yeah. Perfect timing, perfect situation. You, you're capturing lightning in a bottle. It's like how in 2000 they suddenly had the Dudley Boys, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian at the same time. It's like how in 2014, 15, they suddenly had Bailey, Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Bicky Lynch, and just before them, 
Emma and Paige. There's just moments where you have a bit of luck that come along. And so far, NXT 2.0 has not had any luck outside of Bron Breaker. It seemed like within two weeks, everyone was like, well, if this guy isn't WWE World Champion multiple times, something's something's gone gone wrong. wrong. But he is a Steiner, so... Well, but they do they want you to know that, or don't they want you to know that? Because God knows they allude to it enough times, but they don't call him Rex Steiner. They call him Bron Breaker. Apparently, Bron insisted on that. Because he didn't want to have a Steiner. Like, I think it was something like he wanted to earn the right to be a Steiner, not be a Steiner. And if it goes wrong, he's like, besmirch the name kind of thing. It was fascinating to see. And what's also fascinating was he was literally in the NFL last season. Yes. So the aptitude he's shown so far and the look that he has, he genuinely looks like emerging of Rick and Scott Steiner. He sounds like emerging of Rick and Scott Steiner. <laughs> you start to wonder whether it was like some clone project rather than, you know, just an actual child. You don't know who's going to be what yet when you look at all the talent in NXT 2.0. With the exception of maybe LA Knight, who is dropping some great like promo work right now. But he didn't come up through that. He's not yet. He's not. He wasn't, he's not either of those generations. He's not 2.0, and despite his presence in the War Games match, he's not black and gold NXT either. What is also interesting is it's pretty obvious that they're not going to... that This version of NXT is not going to sell out the All-State Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. It's not going to sell out the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So this is a downsizing of NXT. It's obvious it's not the place to be seen either. You're not maybe going to get your celebrities in the crowd. But it's also not the place where the WWE is looking to sign the the wrestlers that will get them there because they're not going to WWE anymore. It appears that that glut of independent talent being signed up through a combination of Vince realising that through CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe that maybe there has been some great talent on the independent scene during all this time, and he's allowing Triple H and Shawn Michaels a certain amount of carte blanche to go after the guys that they like. But at some point, Vince has gone, turning that tap off, we've had enough, when they weren't able to beat AEW. So it was a combination of that and the bidding wars that the start of AEW caused that brought it on. But if you're going to be... A prospect on the indie scene now. The WWE is basically saying, don't bother. Through the people that they've fired, the people that they've hired, the people that they're putting in charge of NXT now, and also the new pipeline scheme that they're creating with college athletes. Yeah, quickly on the college athlete point, obviously having Gabled Stevenson signed to you, or Steve Stevenson, I do apologise. That's a huge win for that. Uh, I do think maybe as well, like not going after the talent is linked to the because the, the releases they they always cite budget cuts, and to cut as deeply as they do usually indicates you're offloading the whole thing at some point. Like if you look at other business models, every action that the WWE's taken in the past eighteen months to two years points towards trying to make the company look as good as possible to a large-scale media corporation that is also in absorption and acquisition mode. It's fascinating to think of Vince selling 
but it seems more and more of an inevitability until maybe the reality faces Vince and he has to sign that piece of paper in front of him. And maybe he won't. You can't tell with Vince. (laughs) That is true. But every bit of behavior that Nick Khan has had points towards making the WWE look as valuable and as viable as possible to Universal, NBC, to Disney, to Viacom, to these big partners, to Fox, to whoever it is that they're going to sell the goods to. And then it becomes a whole new entity and you build up from there. That's what we're in. We're in a time where everything's being absorbed. We're going to have, by and large, media conglomerate by the year 2050 making Batman v. Neo v. fucking... Oh, I briefly thought... Voltron in a triple threat. I briefly thought you meant V from V for Vendetta for a split second. I don't know why. (laughs) God, that'd be the most bitterly ironic way of him being presented. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget your official V masks, everyone. (laughs) But what is interesting, though, is the presence of AEW, and AEW maybe constantly beating Vince in the ratings... Could that put a scupper on it? Because I've said to you before, I think there's it's just as likely that Vince McMahon will be in charge of the WWE in 2030 as it is that Tony Khan will be in charge of AEW in 2030. I'm not convinced that Tony Khan sees this as the rest of his life. I think Tony Khan's a man of many interests and he's a businessman and he wants to show his worth. And the only reason... He's been the son of a billionaire... For 20 years. He could have built a wrestling promotion at any point during this time. The only reason he's doing this. Is because he sees sale value in building up a wrestling promotion from the ground up. That he can sell it off. Or sell its tape libraries. Or sell it as a whole to a larger media conglomerate. And that could very plausibly be what AEW is by the end of this decade. That that's sold off to a Viacom or a, you know, a, a Universal or Disney. You can never say never in wrestling, maybe. I I see it as unlikely at the moment, purely based off of, if you look at his other roles, whether it be like uh, the operation of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are on the look for a new head coach at the time of recording. But it doesn't look like they're going to be kicking out what Tony Khan and whatever help his Sabermetrics don't appear to have done for the Jacksonville Jaguars from what little. It's one of those things where the chairman never gets sacked, but boy, the managers and the coaches do. Yeah, well, the Jaguars are a bit of a whipping team in the NFL. They're not. Haven't they always been? Yeah, they've never really, like. I I can't remember them ever making a Super Bowl final, let alone winning a Super Bowl. It seems pretty obvious that what the Khans have wanted to do with Jacksonville Jaguars for ages is move it to London. With obviously Sadiq wanting to buy Wembley at one point. Yeah. They don't buy that for just the sake of it. Sadiq or what's his name? It is Sadiq. It is. Oh, no, is it Shahid? It's Shahid. I'm I'm mixing him up with the mayor of London. We're thinking of the mayor, yeah, aren't we? Sorry. I apologise, Sadiq Khan. (laughs) Mm. Whether that will work or whether now that Spurs are involved and Daniel Levy seems quite tight with Roger Goodell... Maybe the Jacksonville moving to London project's dead in the water at the minute. You look at the other sporting project of Tony Khan, Fulham. Fulham are going to be a, a bit of a yo-yo team, I think. They, they, they are basically a Watford in black and white. 
I don't see anything Tony Khan could do, even if he applied himself to get full amount of that. I'm just saying that whilst this is him living out his E-Fed fantasy, I don't know that that's what he wants to do every every day of his life. He's literally got three jobs at the moment, hasn't he, with Fulham, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars, and, and AEW. And let's, let's not kid or insult the intelligence of Jacksonville and Fulham fans. This is his... This is his number one job. Well, it's the thing that he is the number one person in charge of that has final say on everything and can control who wins and loses. There is a lot of talk, Fulham talk that he doesn't pay enough attention to their transfer strategy. And I can imagine Jacksonville fans in general are quite annoyed at losing all the time. But should someone whose only reason for being in that position be because they're the son of the owner no. really have that much of a say in the transfer policy anyway? No, 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 they shouldn't. <laughs> So my point is that I'm not convinced that AEW is a forever project for Tony Khan. I'm convinced he's seen the inflated value of a wrestling promotion through what the WWE is as a wrestling fan. And he knows, wow, if you can do that with a product that's that shit, imagine how much money you might be able to make in 10 years time on a product that's good. And right now, he's producing a much better, not perfect by any stretch, but a much better product than WWE. And in the online wrestling fan discourse, to me, outside of your weird WWE stan accounts, where there's a proper cult, you know, just like there are all these different cults, and obviously there's a cult of AEW as well. It's, I feel like the, the, the people who love AEW are more likely to leave AEW if it ends up sucking rather than the WWE fans that are still there with WWE, even though it has sucked for the most part. For arguably 21 years. <laughs> As a WWE fan who left pretty much for that reason. I don't know. I think people have their different like light bulb moments. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You'll always have a hardcore base, but I reckon people will leave. And if you re- if you don't replace them quick enough, it, you're going to have a diminishing return. Well, what was the talk, the NXT product that they said they were going to market towards a young audience, and then it had, what was it, a median age of 62? 65. 65. Uh, and currently, losing ratings wars to Law & Order repeats. <laughs> well, I kind of talked about WWE as much as I want to talk about them really other than okay let's let's just talk a bit more about the NXT element of no let's let's talk about a bit more WWE the the developmental system if you take it in isolation it makes sense they want young talent they want raw talent they want talent that's athletically gifted and they want it at a low cost and somehow giving them like a little bit of their education paid off for in college is going to kind of make them your chattel for the time being <laughs> out of the frying pan into the fire in terms of collegiate yeah. sports but that's another debate yeah yeah and i've said this so many times before and i keep saying it and i'll keep saying it this is no different to how new japan do their young lion system every new every young lion with the exception i think of okada and Jushin Liger had no true pro wrestling experience until they got signed up on the Young Lions in the native sense. Prince Devitt, David Finlay, 
Gabriel Kidd, those guys had got wrestling experience before they went to New My Japan. My boy! Like, yeah. But they also then had to be broken down and built all over again. To the point that, you know, it might have affected Gabriel Kidd in negative ways. We can think about that at a later point if we want to. So the logic is there and sound. Another thing I think it's like, they're saying oh, they've released, what was it, 81 wrestlers over the course of this year in the WWE? I did, I did not know it was that high. I mean, obviously when you factor all of those in, but big names. Yeah, but let's just talk about the NXT side of it first before we go into the main roster. Does it make sense to have a developmental territory and system with up to 100 people there that you can't give your undivided attention to? Or what if they just monitor these ones through college? You bring them in every couple of months for just like a drilling session and some fundamentals. And you're like teaching them at a lot slower pace over three to four years whilst they're going through college. But they have a better sound fundamental knowledge when you pick them up at 22 years old. And you've cut the ones that you don't want to go with after that. And some might then choose to explore their athleticism. I'm guessing if they're under this WWE system, they're probably not Olympic potential. Or NFL capable. Yeah. But they're enough that, you know, they they can bring in a crowd of 80,000 to a stadium and not make any money out of it. But, but they're useful for the college in that way. Then that's the WWE. And then they can take those, filter out the ones that they don't want. And they've got ones with the sound of potential. But when the New Japan are doing their dojo, there's no more than, like, what, four, five of them? Two to four of them working as ring boys and the other ones through the general lessons and some of them get cut along the way that we just never hear of? Well, why doesn't WWE do something like that? What if NXT was genuinely just about 20 on-screen talent and another 20 being trained? And when one goes up, one gets replaced? I think it's a mixture of two things. I think it's an American mentality of like mass production where they will just like churn out as many people as they can and hope one catches. And I think another part of it is just how Vince backs himself to create and mold talent. You see the way he like gets involved like intricately in like different people's like careers and micromanagement. For example, Karrion Cross apparently this year was micromanaged quite a lot by Vince. I, I think Vince backs himself to be... I think Vince likes the idea of being a gold prospector, especially a gold prospector of talent. I, I think he thinks he he's the magic sieve still. And now, like I say, that coupled with the American capitalists, of which Vince is definitely one, of mass-produce things, and some of it will be good, some of it won't work, but whatever, sell what I can, get rid of what I can't, leads him to this uh, this massive approach. He backs himself to sieve out the talent. It's it's kind of like comparing Ford and Aston Martin. New Japan are like hand making their cars. Like everything's gone for such a thing. Vince wants to turn on a button, and if there's like a really good Focus or a really good Mustang that comes off the production line, he'll take it. But he'll junk the rest. But does he though? It seems like of anything that Vince's hands off on, it's developmental. It feels like he knows nothing about these guys until they're presented to him on the first episode that they're going to be on Raw or SmackDown. And oftentimes he'll be like, we're going to suddenly make you a juggler. (laughs) (laughs) And so everything that they built them up for in NXT is like, what was even the point? Which I I guess 
in terms of consistency for them, at least, if Vince is now more involved in NXT, at least you're not having to go, go and undergo a seismic character change whilst dealing with the pressure of debuting. But my point is that I don't, I'm not convinced he will be in charge of NXT 2.0. I don't think he's any more hands-on after he sets the stall of what the TV show is. Apparently it's Bruce Pritchard's that's the main guy, along with Sean and the others still. That Vince just always, every three or four years when he needs something new to blame, he'll say, it's these guys you're bringing me. They're not what I want. Give me more of these. I think he wants a lot more Baron Corbins yeah. coming it down his pipeline than he wants to see... Isaiah Swerve Scotts. Yeah, or Adam Cole. Yeah. No slight on Swerve Scott. I'm just I'm speaking purely how Vince would look at you as a physical specimen. Then three or four years down the line, someone sneaks in through the system that changes his opinion for a while. It's like how suddenly for six months he decides everyone's going to get a manager, but not a manager. Do you remember that? With Leo Rush and Drew Gulak and all those other people, he suddenly wanted managers again after years of not having them. Yeah, and remember when he didn't want wrestling and ad breaks. Yep, so they all became two out of three falls matches. He just is a strange, strange man. That is impossible to predict. And that's why, you know, who the hell ever thought that the person... I mean, we should have seen it coming. But the person that he's fucked over this year and tried to make an example out of is his son-in-law. Yeah. Whilst he's going through heart surgery. Mm. There's something symbolic in that somehow. Yes. Yeah. Which will lead to one of my predictions for next year mm. but we'll get to that you've you dirty little flirt you dirty little tease let's talk a little bit about the main roster of wwe what's left of it treading water going along the way but they are one thing they've really been into is dominant champions that seems to have been the key thing now they've made bobby lashley a solidified star to the point that the guy they'd spent the whole year building at least one of the brands after, Drew McIntyre, ended up losing to Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. Yes, yeah. Which came as a slight surprise, and Drew McIntyre's never quite recovered from it. Lashley got stuck in the Goldberg universe for a couple of years, <laughs> but now he's coming back new and improved. They took away... What, were their, what was their name now? The Hurt Business. business. Yeah. Then they gave it back ever so briefly. Yes. And now it looks like they're not only going to take away the Hurt Business of Cedric Alexander and... Shelton Benjamin from him, they're probably going to take MVP away as well yeah. and make him a baby face by the looks of it. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, obviously, he held the title until um, Big E cashed in the money in the bank. Which was a rush job, wasn't it? Them trying to pop a rating. Yeah, and Big E had been like, building himself slowly on the other brand. Then the draft happened. I don't know. It seemed like the, pa- the planning pencil at the time was for Big E to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Yeah. And instead, they hot shot that into Biggie winning the title from Lashley on Raw. And then them having the match at Survivor Series that maybe they were going to have at WrestleMania, complete with Roman Reigns winning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's non title at least. He can get away with it. I mean, obviously, the, the last thing we saw at the WrestleMania, which you'd think first WrestleMania back over a year in front of a crowd, you'd think they want to leave them on a feel good moment. And instead, they had Roman Reigns pile Daniel Bryan and Edge on top of one another and pin them both. At that moment, I was like, okay, they want the next WrestleMania to be Roman Reigns versus The Rock. And it don't look like that's going to happen. No, we'd have had a hint by now. 
we'd have had a hint by now. Instead, the only appearance from The Rock I think we saw all year was by his egg to celebrate the 25th anniversary of him being in the WWE. Can we... Can we just pause for a second and <laughs> and let that sink in? His egg. For a prop from one of his films that apparently loads of people watch. Red Notice, it did numbers on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, but they've yet to prove those, have they, with Netflix? It did 11 billion numbers. <laughs> yeah, the, the, when I say, oh, it's streamed for so many hours, I always remember the story of the girl who watched... Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, something like 300 plus times in a year. And then when they interviewed her, they expl- she explains she always puts it on before she goes to bed and falls asleep to it. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. Because they could say the same for me about like The Simpsons on Disney Plus or uh, occasionally Monty Python and the Holy Grail of Monty Python's Life of Brian. I do like to fall asleep to something amusing. And familiar, happening. so you don't have to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't try and shame me on Twitter in a year's time, Netflix, with whatever it is you're going to do. Oh, God, I've told you, pick smaller targets. <laughs> Although, I think I've said this already. I have a friend who's got a theory. And I, told, I must have told you this. It's one of my favourite theories ever. He's had a theory that ever since it came out, somewhere, someone in the world at all times is watching Training Day. When did Training Day come out? 2001 jesus so at some point for the last 20 years someone somewhere in the world someone somewhere is watching training day because absolutely i can believe that for star wars absolutely i can believe that for lord of the rings harry potter whatever training day it's so specific but it's plausible enough (laughs) if nothing else he's got the volume of like sample size to probably get away with it (laughs) but what i'm not watching at all any hours of the day is pretty much wwe i don't even now watch every week the top 10 moments from raw or smackdown no i partly because i don't like how they tease one of the things happening now when they start the video i don't like it I get all my WWE week-to-week knowledge secondhand now. Mm-mm. What would it take for them to bring you back, do you think? Do you think it would have to be just knowing that Vince is no longer in charge so you can see... Because it's just that sense of... It became a running gag online to say, let's play it out, see where it goes. Because to a lot of people, it's like, you can't trust this man these many times and still think it's going to go wet the way you want it to go. Yeah. Like that Amy Wong line in Futurama. Fool me 57 times, shame on yeah, me. exactly. I don't know if it would ever go. To, well, I, I've said, I don't see myself watching three hours worth of wrestling every week at all again for the rest of my life unless I'm literally like don't have a job and don't have anything else to do. I'm at three hours a week now. I work from home. I probably would still watch those three hours a week, but I'd have to like make a lot more time for it. It'd be a bit more fiddly. But those three hours, I'm assuming, are Dynamite and Rampage. You would be correct. Yeah. What would it take for you to stop watching Dynamite and Rampage and instead be watching Raw? At this point, Dynamite and Rampage would start have to start being significantly bad for a, a, a fairly long period of time for me to like go back to Raw. I, I, I don't want to say it, but... Unless Raw is better than it was, 
I'd probably just check out. But are we talking like Raw has to be as good as basically 2000 or 1997 to 98 Raw? Raw has to give me something that isn't as stale and formulaic as most Raws are and have been for longer than I'd care to admit because I was still watching for part of it. It's an interesting thought experiment, I suppose. I don't see that happening now whilst Vince is in charge because Vince fundamentally has a vision of what wrestling is that doesn't match my vision. Hadn't matched it since probably 2001. And really, 2001 was the last year that I was seriously... No, actually, I probably carried just about into 2002. But basically with Ring of Honor, that was the time where I was like, well, there's something else out there that's close to what I like about wrestling. I'm going to devote my time and attention to that. And it's never been the same with WWE since then. I think AEW is my Ring of Honor, basically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's come a bit later in life for you than Ring of Honor did for me. But, yeah. And we'll get to Ring of Honor, obviously, in a bit. Or what's left of it. Yeah. So, the last thing to talk about, obviously, the biggest news about WWE are all the releases. And we talked about it on the NXT front. But we also talked about... It's not just that, but it's people willingly leaving. And on NXT, those people have been Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly. Johnny Gargano. Maybe more... That will go, and at least two of those have gone to AEW. You would think, if you were to lay your money on one side or the other, it, on Gargano, you would probably think AEW is a lot more likely than WWE. <clears throat> Depends on where his priorities go. But, to the counter, maybe the next big name that people were hoping was going to leave WWE for AEW has not done so, with Kevin Owens signing a new contract to stay in WWE. Yeah, I think he's. I think he and his family are settled. And a family seems to be a very big thing for him. Uh, and someone pointed out, I can't remember where a lot, but the amount of bumping he's done. Mm. Take the cash, do it. But he also tweeted the Google Maps destination to Mount Rushmore. He knew how to play the game. I don't know if that just bumped an extra couple of hundred thousands onto his contract at WWE. But at the same time, look at WWE's release pattern Signing these contracts doesn't mean anything. Nope. Just ask Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows about that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Strowman, The Fiend. I mean, they would probably have been on significant money at the time. These were the two guys that were wrestling the match that Roman Reigns interfered in to start his Universal title run. Both of those other participants in the match were are not in the WWE anymore. Now... One of the theories was that that was them trying to point out that, you know what, this bidding war, we're not taking it so seriously anymore. AEW's probably at capacity, and any new signings they make now, they just think it's like adding trouble to their roster. Yeah. Of making probably... And it will there will come a point where there'll be people frustrated who signed to AEW from WWE thinking they were going to get the land of milk and honey, and they're not where they want to be on the card because there just aren't enough spots on the card for them. Especially with only four pay-per-views a year and three hours of TV. Plus, coming up in the new year, they are going to have like their version of In Your House. I don't think outside of Kenny Omega and the elite, basically the elite guys and Danielson and Punk, I don't think there's any mid-carder in AEW that wouldn't be making more money as a mid-carder in WWE. But then there's job satisfaction to factor into that. Yeah. And also a sense of job security. Because mm. everyone must be terribly paranoid. There are maybe seven or eight guys in the WWE you would think couldn't get released. 
But at one point, you would have put Bray Wyatt in that list. At one point, you would have probably put Braun Strowman in that list. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong, he wasn't at his apex, but The Fiend had been a significant part of television for a great period of time before he went off TV and then got released. Like, Wasn't he their top merch seller or one of their top merch sellers? Interesting sidebar. One of my friend's four-year-olds doesn't really understand wrestling, not really into it, but likes The Fiend. He calls him Naughty Tumble. <laughs> and he got bought for this Christmas a, as he calls it, Naughty Tumble action figure. He, he's action figureable. He's merch. He moves things. He moves things to kids who don't even know what wrestling really is. <laughs> it's pretty obvious that at some point in 2022, maybe, if not 2022, then 2023, Wyndham Rotunda is going to let a lot of things off his chest. Yes. Whether in a ring with a mic in his hand, on a podcast that he hosts, or on someone else's podcast. Yeah. Or metaphorically through the script of whatever film it is that he's making at the moment. Mm. With a character called Mince of a Cavan. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that was the most shocking, I think. Strowman, I genuinely saw the logic of getting rid of him in that moment. in the sense He'll never be as good as he was again. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when we look back at, I think it was 2017 or 2016 in review, one of those. I said, in Braun Strowman, they've now created a, a figure that I feel has the weight and the gravitas to main event to WrestleMania, which he never did. Nope. But at WrestleMania 36, he did beat Goldberg for the Universal title. Yeah. You know, WrestleMania 37, was he there still? I think he was there. Yeah, was he on the card? The fact that we don't know says so much. That was one of the things I texted you the other day, wasn't it? I said, I have no idea who the women's tag champions are. Like, I literally have no idea. I had to check. (laughs) Like, on a fundamental basic level, at the very least I could think, oh yes, they won it because of that. But it was like, I couldn't comprehend, I couldn't see anyone even holding the belts. It wasn't like, oh, it's either that one or that one. It was like, I literally can't see who it is. I can't visualize anyone holding the women's tag belts, especially since those things should be owned and bought and never moved from the Iconics for a long period of time. But they're not there, are they? No, but at least they're together doing something somewhere else. So much of this year is that sense of people being liberated and showing, let's see what we can do. And some of them even taking very daring steps. Obviously, as you've said, Matt Cardona, not only doing stuff with AEW and impact wrestling but going to gcw and doing something borderline like classic ecw storylines and going through the death match and getting a victory over nick gage and then declaring himself the gcw universal champion with the spinning belts that they unfortunately rushed through and had him drop the belt almost immediately to john moxley they could have it feels like they could have milked that maybe there were requirements over how yeah there, although but... Unfortunately, with Moxley, that's not panned yeah, out the way yeah. they wanted it to. Yeah, but then no one can be blamed for no, that. No, that's not their fault. But my point is that Matt Cardona, for a brief period of time, made himself a hot commodity in wrestling again, which he hadn't done since 2010. Him dressed as Do-Rag Vince. I can imagine he had such a sense of satisfaction doing that. What are the last things that we can say about WWE to sum it up? Roman Reigns has been doing great work. It's repetitive. Him being programmed with Brock Lesnar again is not the most inspired thing in the world. Although Brock 
with Brock having to act well for the time being without Heyman it's giving like a, a slightly different side of Brock to what we've seen in a long time in WWE so silver linings I also think what Paul Heyman's been doing with Kayla Braxton has been some of the best stuff for roving report talents after Renee Young. I don't think she's of Renee's abilities, but I think she's done good for what she can. I get the feeling with both of them, uh, Renee and Kayla, Paul respects them a lot and is very keen to make sure they come across mm. the better for having interacted with him. Yeah. And I will say, like when I watched the Roman Reigns the segments they're getting huge responses from the crowd yeah so they're working there uh, as i've said i i mean next time wwe comes around i'm not doing raw uh unless it's on in birmingham i'm not doing raw yeah, or Smackdown. Yeah, yeah. i will go to a house show if if and again i'd need free tickets i ain't forking out <laughs> well maybe not for the nia since i literally can walk there yeah with, like the time it takes for me to finish a sentence in this thing yeah which is not a short amount of time. <laughs> it's not that long either. Make it make of that what you will, uh, listeners. So, yeah, don't be don't be drawing like a circle and the, with your compasses and the map, and then knocking on every door. <laughs> to, to find... Did you just dox yourself? Because I wouldn't answer yeah. anyway, <laughs> whether you know you or not, unless you had a pizza in your hand. But you know, curse my one weakness. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. But that's the question. If he's not going to lose to Brock Lesnar and he's not going to face The Rock, is there anyone now left on the roster that they can build up that he can lose to? Because now, I mean, has he held the Universal Ties for like 18 months at this point? Coming up to, yes. I personally think, I don't necessarily believe it will be clean. You think it'll be a money in the bank situation? No, I think something happens at day one. Yeah. Well, that's him against Brock, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'm cards to the table, I bottled it. Because I, I, I really stared at my like, sheet of paper and tried to predict who would dethrone Roman. And I actually properly bowled it. I cannot pl- pluck a name out of out of my head. Yeah, not even twitching no. Finn Balor, Demon uh, King could do what it. What was that? Brian, Daniel Bryan and... I mean, I guess you could do Edge again. But you kind of you can't go to the well that often. You could... If you brought over... Well, is Drew McIntyre on SmackDown now? Uh, yes. Swinging his sword around. Maybe he could be the guy they put on WrestleMania against him. But you have to build him again. He's sort of nowhere. Yeah. Um. Oh, also, before we finish this with WWE, uh, Becky Lynch came back. Yes. And yes. turned heel. Yeah, seems to be enjoying it. The crowd are beginning to go along with it. I think they like they love her too much. It's, it's, it was always going to be a struggle, but it's what she wanted to do. So, but it's another thing as well that I don't think they see anyone that's on her level, and they're not willing to build someone up to her level. But then, where does that get you? Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. That's what they'll realize suddenly, where they're like, "Oh shit, there's no one." Well, it's obvious now that you don't do. With Sh- well, I mean, the whole Charlotte Flair thing. I mean, it's like bloody hell. I mean, that was one that we thought she's running down a contract to be with her man but then her man is no longer her man well their Instagram there was an Instagram within the last day or so of them together I, I I genuinely don't know with her and Andrade I don't know what the situation is 
I always think those that make the biggest demonstrations are often the ones that aren't going to last longer. What is it? The, the the more money you spend on your wedding, the less of a sign it is you're going to stick together. <laughs> yeah. 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 And considering the UK average is pl- over 20k. Mm. Mm. Maybe a babyface turned Seth Rollins if you want to do that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Becky Lynch and Charlotte. Do you really want to encourage babyface Seth Rollins again? Yeah, yeah. But Becky Lynch, Charlotte, the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels of the twenty first century. Um, just very odd, very sad. Ultimately, mm-hmm. if it's true, how much of it's a work? How much of it's you never know. Yeah. But Charlotte Flair's always bothered me with how she's booked. I'd never liked. I don't. You know, so much of this can be like misogyny and everything. But I do think there are valid criticisms to her presentation, to her own work. I hate when she'd lose a match and then have a smile on her face. Oh, she shouldn't be yeah. like she's above it all. And the whole Tony Storm situation, it's like, if you lead this up to a payoff of Tony Storm beating her clean as a whistle, solidly in the ring, no fluke roll-ups, none of that, and it pays off, then fine. If you don't, then it's just Triple H booking all over yeah. again. Or it's maybe one person's booking in AEW. Hey! We'll get to that. Is that our segue? Well, I'm just thinking, have you got any more things on WWE I don't, you want to talk I about? I don't, no. So, AEW. It does feel like someone described it as, like, WWE is its own world, its own universe. AEW now feels like the centre of the rest of the wrestling universe. Yeah. That all the other promotions sort of circle around it. And drop in and out of it. I would say that New Japan sort of just acknowledge it, really. But that's partly to do with travel issues. Yeah. But we'll have to see when travel is no longer a problem across the board, how far it is. But, I mean, look, fucking Tomohiro Ishii came along. Minoru Suzuki. Rocky Romero literally got the best friends to join Chaos. That is <laughs> mad. That. Oh, Kazuchika but... Okada and Orange Cassidy are now in the same faction. <laughs> but as well as that, you've got, you know, Jay Lethal joining AEW, whatever that is, and popping up in Triple E R and then going over to Ring of Honor for a match and yeah. all these other things. Re- AEW is the place where people want to go of certain types. It's the place where Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, and Kylo Riley And Bobby Fish. And Bobby Fish... Well, Bobby Fish was released. He wasn't of his own. My point is that Cole, Danielson, O'Reilly chose to leave WWE yeah. and go to AEW. True. And in the biggest part of it all, after 10 years away, oh. CM Punk picked AEW as his place to go. What a lie. And he seems to be having such a lovely time doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a, oh, I need to do this. It was never going to be that. Even if he did need to do it, he'd have found another avenue. But he is so at home. He's so at peace. Yeah. And it's awesome. But it's been that thing that people have wanted from the start, pissed off Punk to come back. But does that mean they want it in the backstage capacity or do they want it in the on-screen capacity? Because he's getting there on screen gradually. Yeah. Because he had his first battle of mutual respect with Darby Allen, 
And then he was just going around the roster, sort of beating more lower-level people. With the story being that he was working his way back in. Had a little project with program with Team Taz. Then comes Eddie Kingston. Yeah. And probably my favourite promo of the year. And one of my favourite AEW matches of the year. And definitely my favourite match on that pay-per-view that we covered. Oh, yes. Uh, full Gear. Which was the only one that went 11 minutes and told everything it was supposed to tell and told it differently. And what's clear with this is that this is CM Punk with all artistic freedom allowed to do what he wants to do. And if what he wants to do is an homage to Bret Hart versus the 123 Kid, that's what he gets to do. Yeah. If, if what he wants to do is have a promo battle and say what he wants to say with no restrictions, making all the WWE illusions he does or doesn't want to make... He gets to do it. A promo battle with, I think, I don't know another way of saying this, but professional wrestling's adopted son, as far as AEW's concerned. We all love Eddie. Eddie's our boy. He's everyone's boy. I think he's the closest we've come to another Mick Foley. Yeah. In, in that emotionally resonant, more real, more flawed more complex a character than we've maybe yes. seen on screen yes and the only man who dug ourselves out of the horror show that was the finish to that barbed wire match well yeah i mean i was going to get back to that but let's just quickly go back that with eddie kingston what you've found is a guy that can take any loss eat it like a cho- slice of chocolate cake and come back and within a minute on the mic bring back value to him that you care about what he's doing next on the program. Even it's been a step down, which it has been post-punk. But, I mean, after I watched that match, I think I texted you, one of the next things I texted you was, I want to see Eddie Kingston beat CM Punk for the AEW world title. That's what I want to see in either 2022 or 2023. (sighs) That's the next match I want to see from those two. You don't know how happy that would make me to see Kingston. Or maybe it? maybe not the next match, but that's the next match I want to see. That's the only match I want to see where Eddie Kingston gets the win over Punk. Where he not only beats him, he beats him for the AEW world title. But that was also like with three weeks of booking and programming. And that's one of the fascinating things with AEW. They've been able to do short-term and long-term very well with one exception. We got the culmination of a two-year storyline with Hangman Adam Page. And they got Within two years of their promotion's existence, a homemade champion, a guy that was not a main event talent in Ring of Honor or New Japan, or maybe he was in whatever little indie promotions he was in building his way up, but he was not the top guy in any promotion on TV, and now he's the world champion, and some are querying it, but it doesn't look out of place. The fans are behind him. As I said, I think one of the key things in a sign of how well that 60-minute match that we talked about in the previous episode with Brian Danielson was, that by the end of it, they weren't chanting, this is awesome, they weren't chanting both these guys. They were chanting cowboy shit. Because they didn't want this match to end in a 60-minute time limit. They wanted Hangman Adam Page to beat Brian Danielson. And that's a testament to Brian Danielson as well in that match. Of course. But also it's a sign that what AEW fans and fans in general have always wanted is to care. They don't want to be smart Some want to be smart You see them at every show. One of them puts up, like, transphobic comments on a sign and one points, like, smart-ass comments in the left-hand corner whilst wearing sunglasses indoors whilst not being blind. The point I want to make is that AEW fans want to cheer someone and boo someone. When Brian Danielson comes in, it's not a case of them cheering him for the rest of the time. He 
positions himself as the heel in a feud with Adam Page, and the crowd goes, we are going to boo you. They're not angry at Danielson, but they get the story that's being told, and they get their part of the story is to boo him. And that's what they do. And, yeah, and you get that you get the young bucks, like, doing their, like, wacky, over-the-top heel shtick, which is their best version of themselves. Creating, like, that moment with the Lucha Bros in that cage match. Yeah, but having that really hot moment where, like, the Lucha Bros had gone from being, like, nearly men, being dastly people fighting each other, uh, ironically enough, with Eddie Kingston getting into their ears. So the crowd, like, absolutely wanting it. Wanting a moment. They created a desire for a moment. They, they, the, it's not just cheering or booing. The crowd want to feel something. They want, they want their wrestling to make them feel a thing. You don't seem to be getting that on the other side. No. Well, they're provoking genuine emotional reactions. Just, you, you want to see the best example of it. AEW, one of the things I was said, that I think I tweeted, I literally tweeted it, that's how much I cared about it, I bothered to tweet about it, was CM Punk made the crowd go apeshit by calling one guy a bum and calling another guy the Miz. Yeah. He didn't have to swear, he didn't have to curse. He called him an insult from Rocky. And referencing a very successful professional wrestler on the other brand. Yep. And then you look at what Edge and Miz try to do on WWE to do their version of it and to reference it. And Edge desperately try to reinterpret what that meant to make Miz look good. Yeah. And that's the thing that they get. Like, they get that this emotionally affects these characters. And they're saying something to the shock of everyone. And that's what MJF does when he's good. What he doesn't do sometimes when he's at his more performative. But what AEW gets is they get you characters with weaknesses that you can see that will get to. Yes. N- Miro's neck being a very like literal example. Yeah, yeah, but like emotionally affect them. They know that MJF being told that you're a Miz or being told my jealous fan or being told all those things from Punk. We know that that will affect To him. the point where he threatens to kill a dog on national telly. And we know that MJF hits some good points that maybe hit Punk by saying he's afraid, he's a coward, he's a hypocrite. And points out truths. Says, you know, well done insulting the local sports team consistently at the Long Island show. Yeah. And that was like Punk not at 100% or maybe he stretched it out a few minutes longer than he needed to. And also just being in Long Island, from what I understand, basically all you've got is the Islanders as far as local sports team references go. It's... Fascinating. There's artistic freedom and malleability in AEW that is going to be make it so much more appealing to every wrestler to go to AEW. To the point that the WWE are basically saying, if you're a wrestler on the indie scene, that is the place for you to go yeah. to now. We're not interested in you anymore. And But, that, but that's going to be a curious thing now. Because one of the things that WWE have always been able to dangle in front of every wrestler that's come in the last 20 years... That will have grown up loving WWE is that, oh, we could give you your WrestleMania moments. Yes. And that even the most smarky smark of fans or whatever, of wrestlers, in the back of their head will be like, oh, yeah, I do want that WrestleMania moment. Yeah. 
And it means, it meant something to the Smarky fans when CM Punk wins the WWE Championship. It means something to the Smarky fans when Daniel Bryan gets to be the headline guy at WrestleMania 30. It means something to the fans when Kofi Kingston gets his shot. And it similarly means hurt to the fans when CM Punk has to leave wrestling for 10 years because of what the WWE do to them. That Daniel Bryan has to retire through injuries and what have you and doesn't really get to be the guy that we know he can be until we finally see a Brian Danielson match or two in AEW to realise what we've been missing for 10 years. Mm. Or we get emotionally affected when Kofi Kingston then has to lose the title to Brock Lesnar in 10 seconds. Seven. Someone made a really interesting point on, I think it's Brian Alvarez or Lance Storm. The WWE for so long has painted themselves as the villain through their authority figures, but also just through their relationship with the fans. Yeah. Especially the most loud and passionate fans. So, was it Sean Ross Sapp pointed out the other day on Twitter, within the last couple of weeks, it was the three-year anniversary of um, the man standing in the ring and saying that we listened to you. <laughs> and then blame Baron Corbin for yeah. it. <laughs> but AEW, at the moment, has the fans on their side. Now, does it lead to a really annoying discourse online? It does. But I also do believe that AEW can lose those fans as quickly, or those fans will be will have their eyes open to the weaknesses. And we have that. So we've skirted around it so many times, we might as well talk about it now. The Cody-verse, oh. at time of recording, he's just won the TNT title for the third time, defeating babyface Sammy Guevara for it. And the booze rained down. I, I, I want to point to a specific moment in that match, sorry to interject, where to me... I've realised how intentional it all is. And I think it was the move he went to pin him with. When he hooks the arms, and it looks like a pedigree for like a split second, then he hits the Tiger driver. Well, that's how he won it against Malachi Black as well, didn't he? That was yeah. the same way that he won the match with him. So it looks like that's going to be his finish going forward. Which is good, because he's, he's cheapened the crossroads himself by hitting so many multiple ones and so many different people. Well, the basic thing is that they are aware that Cody Rose is now their John Cena. And they're leaning into it. And it feels like at some point he will turn heel, but they want to time it perfectly. And what AEW like to do with their heel turns, even the obvious ones, is not give it to you at the obvious moments. Like when you think the MJF versus the Inner Circle storyline's going one way, that you know, they just suddenly bring in the pinnacle. Yeah. And it's a different story to what you thought you were being presented with. <laughs> when MJF turned on Cody Rhodes, it was like, we know when this is going to come, but it came at a different point point to what we would have yeah. expected it to come so i think what they want is to put cody in a position where finally the crowd are cheering for him and in that moment that's when he turns heel i think that's what they want but they're not going to get it so you either do it now or you don't do it because my fundamental problem with the cody storyline as much as people think it's clever self-reflective and that they're aware of it and they're leaning into it and what have you the reason that John Cena was a problem for so many fans was no one came out of a John Cena feud looking better than when they got in. No one did. It it cut the legs off of Bray Wyatt. It cut the legs off of... Rusev. Um, Rusev, yeah. It cut the leg off of Edge or whoever. Oh, when Ed, oh back when Edge was like a transitional three-week champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The great Carly. Any of these characters, they're fundamentally built up to reach John Cena's level. Ryback. They reach John Cena's level, and then they're never going to surpass John Cena. 
So they have to go down. And once they've gone down, once they're out of the John Cena universe, even if they're like on a journey towards it without John Cena acknowledging it, they automatically lose interest in Vince McMahon and then plummet very often, you know. So Kozlov wasn't built up for John Cena, but he was built up. And then as soon as they was like, we don't need him for the world title picture, he's Santino Morella's, the guy taking the fall in the Santino Morella tag match. You know, once they're not needed for John Cena they're not of value to them. Yeah. I mean, they once had the Wyatt family just, like, take a shit-kicking of all time to show that John Cena's ready for another opponent. Yeah. You know, like, they're used as props for John Cena. It's the Poochie sense. <laughs> you know, where's Poochie? Do and... Did Andrade... Has Andrade come out of the Cody-verse looking better than when he went in? No, he... Not necessarily looking worse, but does he look better? No. Even Malachi Black... No. Would have looked good. But he didn't look as good as he... He didn't look as good as he did at his peak. He came out looking worse by the end of it than what he was at at his peak. So he made an ascension during the Cody feud, but he made a descent as well. Same that was happening with Brody Lee. Yeah, well... Who knows where that would have gone? Yeah, We don't know for certain, but, you know. But yeah, the dog collar match was very much uh, I'm getting one back kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. Considering the method of the like, how quick the first victory was... Cody should just leave people alone for a longer period of time before coming back to them. But Cody just races through so many people so often, you know, that, as we've always said, like, that Pentagon oh, that did or did not happen. God, that could have been but so much better than it was. He just races through it all, all the time. Is he going to feud with FTR? Or is that just, what, what was that? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? So it's just, it's, my problem is that everyone gets put into their universe. And the problem is with that is that the crowd is only responding to Cody, and it's not to anyone else's. You know, it was like, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Cena's point was always, they're never chanting for the other guy. Yeah, because you're not creating a situation where the other guy gets over enough. Well, WWE's logic was, we've got the number one heel and the number one face, and it's the same guy. So it doesn't even matter who we plug them with. So Cody is both the face and the heel of every storyline. What is the purpose of the other person other than to fill... It's a body. The, it's know, a mannequin. blank... Yeah, it's a creator wrestler. Yeah, yeah. It's a bot. Yeah, it's that green guy that you um, try and figure out what your finish is going to be. So even if it's done all self-reflexively acknowledging it, it doesn't mean doesn't make it good. No. Just because you subvert expectations doesn't mean it's a good idea. You have to subvert expectations in a clever way, and they haven't done it in a clever way yet with Cody. Yeah. Maybe they salvage it, but even then you've still done damage to other people. I can absolutely see there being... It feels inevitable to me at some point that one of the founding fathers of AEW is going to go back to WWE. And if you were to have me bet on anyone, it would be Cody. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. That's not... One of them will. I mean, if you count Jericho as a founding father, it's more likely to be Jericho because he'll just bounce around and, you know... Uh, if Jericho sees an opponent, he fancies working with WWE, and it, lines it won't up. be about wrestling though. I don't think Jericho going back to WWE in the future would be like a media figure, a commentator, or whatever, or a backstage, a top backstage producer, like a big backstage role yeah. or something along those lines. With again enough time for him to go to pose outside my uh, my brother's flat. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Someone pointed out on uh, when he did Newcastle that all three pictures are like within. Uh, a minute's walk of each other. So him strolling mm. around Newcastle is literally walking around the block. 
<laughs> so I don't I don't really want to talk about Cody that much more now. That's fine. I think you mentioned Jericho. Do you have and any, I want to segue? Do you have anything else you wanted to add about Cody? Though, <sighs> not re- not really. Do you have him in your predictions at all? No, no, I don't. Okay, so where do you? Okay, so I'll ask you with Cody. Where do you see his twenty twenty two going? Is he a heel now with Sammy Guevara in that feud? Is he going to turn officially heel and wrestle as a heel? Or are they going to keep milking this story? Is he going to start interacting with the elite characters again for the first time since, what, twenty early 2021? He got replaced by Matt Hardy in the feud with the Inner Circle. Yeah, that was weird. I think, he, I don't know about the elite interaction, but I think he gets very more assured and not self-aware in a in a very I am aware of what the crowd is doing kind of way I just think they'll go too far in egging the pudding I'm, I'm nervous and I know they like to subvert expectation and go like down different paths I don't think this is the right thing to do just you know when you said do it or don't but do it now I kind of agree with you and I, I kind of hope they just do it let's just let's just get it going so things we can we can write differently based off of that rather than this stagnant thing we're in now, where you're trying to incubate it for a right time. Just 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 change something. What what were you about? Were we about to talk John John Moxley and the? Uh, oh, oh you, Jericho. I was going was to Jericho because one of the my note my key notes, and it involves Jericho, but not just Jericho. But I don't know how much Jericho specifically is to blame, if blame is to be proportioned, but. The, in, the staleness of the inner circle. Well, I think the plan was to break them up and allow them to go their own paths. I think it might help Santana and Ortiz, most of all, to step out of the inner circle shadow hmm. and strike their own path. It doesn't mean it has to be a bitter breakup. No. I mean, the logical thing, if you're going to do anything to help someone else, maybe have it be, say they get into a feud with a recently turned heel, Cody and the Nightmare Factory, and they beat the inner circle and the losing team must disband. Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying, like, dis- I'm not saying they should disband. I'm not saying, I, I don't mind a faction having a loose affiliation and doing their own thing. My point is, the Pinnacle feud dragged on too long, point one. Point two, the... Well, it was booked backwards. It was really weird how it was booked. Point two, American Top Team stuff was fun. And we got a better match than I expected, although not as highly rated as um, Big Dave rated it. But it just seems a lot of people have lost a lot of momentum who are Inner Circle members. I think the basic problem is that Jericho is never going to go back to the top part of the, the storylines, I don't think. I don't think he can do that main event match anymore. He really slowed down and looked bad in many moments against Orange Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. The stature that he gave the world title by being the first champion and the youngest champion <laughs> such a good vignette their parody of cody's thing that was what he was good for now he's like in into a little mid-card island unto himself the big storyline left for jericho to do i suppose is him turning heel on sammy guevara or sammy guevara turning heel on him yeah and them doing the samatino zabisco f- or you know whatever sort of feud. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And he puts over Guevara. Maybe if Guevara doesn't win the TNT title, maybe that's where they'll go with that. If he is to go into the commentary, he needs to tone it down. He goes at the wrong pace all the time, and they've got enough quality commentators there. Taz is the top colour guy right now. <sighs> it, depending on if you count Tony Schiavone as colour, then Tony Schiavone as well. Yeah. I get, seeing Taz have a yeah, um, dynamite main run now, 
albeit for reasons we'd rather not have. It's nice to see Taz. I mean, I don't watch like a lot of Dark. So one of the advantages of Rampage was he's, ha- he's listening to Taz. I do like Taz a lot. And Taz has brought us the... No, no, no. He didn't bring us. He sent us Hook. Yeah. The product of his semen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to actually talk that much about Hook because I don't actually think there's enough to talk about him yet, one way or the other. It's so odd for someone to be such a big deal in both a sincere and ironic way at the same time. Because there is clearly so much irony behind the hoo-ha about Hook. Yeah. Hook hoo-ha. Maybe that'll be uh, a new term. But there is clearly talent there. It's early. It's raw. I don't want him no-selling Rikishi drivers, personally. Yeah, I think they went. I think they got a little too excited with that one. What I was going to say is there's a launch pad. There's something there. There is. But it's like, I think that there will be there in like three or four years' time. And I don't know how you stretch out Hook with what's expected of him right now to three or four years down the line. That That's a long period of time for what feels right now is kind of faddish. Can I tell you about a time in TNA when there was a thing known as Hoytomania? <laughs> yes, go on. From there came Lance Archer. So it can happen. It feels like we're in a Hoytomania time or people chanting for Zack Ryder over the rock. But... There's more to Hook than that. There's something different to Hook than there was to Lance Hoyt at that time. He then went on to become a really good worker. Although he hasn't really been turning around much in the last few weeks. But he got a win over John Moxley this year. Yeah. So they kept him hot enough. I don't see Hook meaning as much in a year's time as what he does now. But I still see him being there. If you were to ask me how to book him, I would book him as like a character. To me, he looks like a character from Cobra Kai. And I would book him as a character from Cobra Kai, like the high school jock bully. I've said I, the feud I would put him in would be like him against the Varsity Blondes and him trying to win over Julia Hart and being a bit of a bad boyfriend to her. Yeah, or... Which is maybe some would dismiss as very soap opery and Riverdale, but I think that's the right place on the card for him. And that plays into his strengths because he's a good looking lad. But he does have a toughness that you don't expect from a pretty boy character. Yeah. Usually that guy's got to be a fiery, high-flying baby face. The other logical guy to put him up against at this point would be Jungle Boy. Yeah. As like a, as like a mirror universe Jungle Boy. That would be good. But we're, we're, no, we're, not, we're not there yet. I don't know how, but you need to get him up. You're right. I'd like... But he is up. <laughs> you know, in the eyes of the fans right now, he is. Yeah, but I mean, are they gonna are they gonna Goldberg him? No. Is he just gonna be on dark elevation and rampage, chalking up win after win and occasionally dynamite? Because God knows they've got enough supporting and indie talent for him to blitz that you can take up six months of him doing that. And it's all about the AEW win loss records. Do you got if you're gonna Goldberg anyone of all the people to do it to? Do you do it with Hook? <laughs> He's not the obvious one on a visual front. I don't think you have him wrestle that often. I think you take. I think you take the in terms of a singles match style. I think you take the MJF approach. He rarely does a singles match. It's funny because in many ways he's been booked like Hook, like Taz was in 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 ECW. Yeah, that whole send Hook. 
there was essentially a sense of Sen Taz that when things were at their most insane going on in the ring, the most crazy, everyone being brought in, you know, Jerry Lawler attacks or whatever, the person that always scattered everyone was Taz. He wouldn't even have to wrestle necessarily. Just him turning up, everyone else would back up. Yeah. So it'd be this idea of, you know, well, everyone says the meme is that Hook is the guy in the white suit in the Simpsons episode for the Yakuza. You know he's going to do something, he'll be really cool. That's what Hook is yeah. in wrestling form. So is that what you do with Team Taz? That if any time Team Taz are in like a brawl or something, you turn them face and then Hook slowly makes his way to the ring whilst eating a pack of crisps and then just wipes one person out and the rest of the faction just runs away. You know? He's like Hangman if Hangman at Walkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no. No, because you've got Powerhouse Hobbs. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I. Well, is that? Do you just put him in a tag team with Powerhouse Hobbs? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Let Starks do his like run it like be a slimy like run his mouth guy. Have them be a tag team. It's fascinating when you look at AEW because I think AEW will be around at the end of this decade. Like I said, I don't know that Tony Khan will be in charge of it, but I think AEW's got enough good look. Impact have managed to last twenty years thanks to being a TV wrestling program. Yeah. AEW will have that forever. It might downsize if things go bad, but I think the AEW brand is going to exist in 2030. The key thing is, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, by the end of 2030, they're all in their late 40s, mid to late 40s. They aren't wrestlers. Yeah, They aren't full-time wrestlers. Who's in their place at that point? Well, they've built them up. But it relies on keeping. But it's not even that the four pillars are necessarily... Those four pillars would be... they. In theory, the four pillars are going to peak in like 2024, 2025. Yeah. I'm talking about 2030. So is that going to be... It's not even... Well, it would be people that haven't even wrestled their first match yet. Yeah. But they need to be able to keep building them up. So obviously it's... Well, the ones that are... The ones they've said are going to be... MJF. Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allen. And I know it's not the one that they said, but Punk said it, and I fully agree. Women's divisions rise, it's Brit. Well, we'll talk about the women's division just after that. But um, is it next? You know, the ones that people are saying look like the obvious candidates are like Lee Moriarty, uh, Daniel Garcia. I could see Garcia. Uh, Hook, I guess. I mean, he's only two matches in. But if they manage to maintain the hype somehow, I, I, creatively, I don't know how you do it. But if they manage to do it, then yes. I don't. I don't think it's a good idea invoking the four pillars anyway. Yeah, that seemed a bit of a wanky thing to do. It seemed like it was more like MJF saw them as his clearest rivals, and has every time put himself in those feuds and has come out winning those feuds. Yeah. I think. Yeah, he's beat. He's beaten every single pillar already. He beat Sammy Guevara when they would have their matches during the Inner Circle Pinnacle feud. He beat Darby Allen with a headlock to take over. And he beat Jungle Boy, what, in the Diamond Ring match? Was that he won? Uh, one of them. And I swear he's yeah. wrestled him separately on pay-per-view. Yeah, that he beat them on a pay- he beat him on a pay-per-view as well. question is then, are those ma- are those four men going to do what the four pillars that you're referencing did and just have five-star matches for four years straight in singles and tag matches against each other for the rest of the time? And fate of four ways, you'd assume. Two of those original four pillars were Kent Kabashi and Masawa. And the other two were like Kawawa, 
Kawada and Watale. So those are big boots to fill. Three of the like ten best wrestlers to come from that decade at least. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be some that would argue Tawei deserves to be in the top ten of that decade too. He is the Don Don Master. You will show him respect. I'm sorry. As much as I like all of them, I have yet to see evidence that MJF, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, and Darby Allen are going to be the ten, four of the ten best wrestlers of the 2020s. Not when, not when Punk is still around. Uh, Punk and Brian are still around. Well, no, no, no. That doesn't count anyway. They're not of this era. I mean, people that are in their prime. Oh, okay. Era. I see what you're you know, that will work from 2020 to 2029. Yeah. But on the women's division front, I mean, we were talking about that with the World of Sport gag. AEW's women's division was the one that was in its weakest state when it started. But it is clear as an intended project to the promotion. And they built it up and built it up as best they could. Was the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match in 2021? I think it was. It must have been. I think it was like March 2021. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, my basic problem was that there was no one on the AEW roster, women's roster, outside of Thunder Rosa that were as good as the best WWE wrestlers. We're getting there now. We've got more and more that are putting on better matches, but we're still somewhat flawed. We don't need to see Penelope Ford, Ty Conte, Anna Jay, and The Bunny deal with each other again for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And a lot of these women are being put in positions very early in their run. Anna Jay, what, is she like two or three years into her career? Not necessarily where she needs to be. Ty Conte, I mean, this is still like the first time she's been on TV. (laughs) Yeah. She did good for what she had to do, but there were always sort of limitations within it. They're no longer looking on just filling it up with as many Joshi wrestlers as they can. They're trying to build it up. But the key things were like Ruby Soho, they're building up of Jade Cargill. They're building up of Jamie Hayter. I think they've got plans for guys like Layla Hirsch. Chris Statlander's starting to step up. Britt Baker can't be the be-all and end-all of the promotion. No, and to be fair, they had they were without Statlander for a long time. I think what AEW would love to do in 2022, I haven't put it down as a prediction, but they would love to have one of their four pay-per-view main events be headlined by Britt Baker against someone for the women's title. Yeah. More likely than not, Thunder Rosa. I think that's the only one you can do it with. What is also interesting now is I think one of the key things was you look at how the WWE gives anyone outside of Charlotte, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks. Well, Charlotte and Becky Lynch, essentially. They've kind of put Bianca Belair on the back burner after building her up to be a WrestleMania headline. Oh, I can't believe that match. Her first live WWE show, not NXT show, her first live WWE show as a main roster talent in front of a crowd was the main event of a WrestleMania. Her entire run was from the day after WrestleMania 36 where she debuts with the Street Profits. Then I think she does nothing for a couple of months. Then she goes into feuds with Bailey and them lot. And then she wins the Royal Rumble. That's pretty crazy. But then they have a lose to Becky Lynch in 26 seconds and she doesn't get the revenge oh, win. And then she's yeah. trading. Well, she's winning against Dewdrop, but then getting beaten up by her after every match. 
they fluctuate around the place. It was kind of the weird thing with the women's division. It's always been like everyone gets their turn with the belt without it necessarily give, giving a tiering system. Like the school hamster. Yeah, but now they do have a tiering system, but it's like Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair and no one else can touch them. Yeah. <sighs> and and Bailey and Sasha Banks and then no one else can touch them after that. And Alexa Bliss. To bring it back to AEW, it kind of does feel like Brit is above everyone else. That's the problem. They need to bring someone up to Brit's level. That's why, like you say, they would love it if it wasn't Thunder Rosa because they can give someone else the win. Maybe it could be Jamie Hayter if you want to do the Virgil Ted DiBiase storyline. Brit's held it for a long time, more well, for a fair few months already. Like, can you keep it fresh if you don't have anyone else? But here's the significant thing. I think if I was a woman in wrestling up to 2020, I would rather go to WWE and NXT than go to AEW. Like, you look at what was he was the skateboarder or whatever any of those Cora Jade I think now I think people who aren't Charlotte Becky Sasha Bailey I think Tony Storm if she's as poorly treated as she has been in even in her main event feud she gets pied twice (laughs) in one story in one feud made to look like an idiot and therefore has the crowd behind her because they know she's better than what she's being presented even your Bianca Belairs, your Dakota Kai's, your Rhea Ripley's, your Asuka's, where the fuck has she been? Injured again, I think. There's rumours of Kyrie Sane slash Hojo coming back. When they look at things like how anyone's booked who's not Charlotte or Becky, and when they look at how much time women were given in the Queen's Crown tournament compared to how much time they're given in the TBS title tournament, they see two different women's titles. Yeah. Suggesting a commitment, especially with the TBS title, to have high-quality matches on TV, which is why I'm still not convinced it's going to go to Jade Cargill, because you can't guarantee good matches with her, whereas you can with Ruby Soho or Thunder Rosa, which are the other two at time of recording. Yeah. That are still in there. I think that there's a decent chance that a Tony Storm, a Rhea Ripley, maybe a Bianca Belair, harder with those that have been indoctrinated into the system from like train from no other wrestling experience. Although Ty Conti maybe can say, I've been in both places. Yeah. Are they in two years' time gonna do a Kyle O'Reilly, a Johnny Gargano, an uh, Adam Cole, a Brian Danielson, run their contract down and go to AEW because they see more opportunities? in AEW because Vince won't blow hot and cold on them. There's an, in, a consistent, desired, pushed-for emphasis outside of whatever Brandy Rhodes social media branding there is going on. There's legit attempts to do it. It's always been a con- uh, concerted effort apparently behind the scenes by Kenny Omega. Kenny does seem very passionate about making sure the women are over. Yeah. I think that there's a decent chance that Lots of WWE women in two years' time or a year or two years' time will do what Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson did this year. Mm. But what would you... If Charlotte Flair comes to AEW still, do you book her like like the female Cody? Do you play into the ideas of her being a spoilt entitled Bratz? Or, you know, if she is as bad as her backstage reputation is to lead her to believe. And I'm always wary with women who have backstage reputations for maybe just doing something that any guy would get away with. Yeah, It's taken us 52 years, but maybe we finally will admit that Yoko Ono didn't break up the Beatles. <laughs> I don't know. If Charlotte was was to come over... See, I'm torn because I don't want to put her straight with Brit. 
Let's not get into too much fancy booking. Let's keep this quick and simple. If if Charlotte walks out of WWE, if you're AEW, do you snap her up immediately and put her right into a women's title feud? Or, you, you know, you book her solidly on Dynamite all the time, maybe at the expense of some of the more established talent. As people are saying, that the likes of Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, CM Punk are driving the Jack Evanses of this world out of the AEW <laughs> roster. You've got all the plans in the world for Layla Hirsch, but then suddenly Charlotte comes along. Do you go, sorry, Layla, you got to wait 18 months. We're going to... It's tough because I don't like just dashing people away, but on the other hand, it is Charlotte, and it is a massive name for the women's division. Could it be more trouble than it's worth? If the backstage reputation is everything that they agreed upon, if you spend six months building her up, which you have to do, that means putting her over at the expense of... AEW talent that you've built and cultivated to make a WWE person look good. And you don't know at the end of those six months if Charlotte's going to do the return favor that will make them look good in the way that they, you know, who's to say, is Charlotte Flair going to turn into an Austin Aries? And when she loses the match that she's booked to lose against instructions, she sits up and starts laughing, Mm. which is basically what Austin Aries did at the end of his thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's as bad as that. I really don't. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that up in the air. Last couple of questions. Kenny Omega's championship run. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Thumbs up, although... I, I think... At an angle. Yeah, at a slight angle. Thumbs at an, thumbs at an obtuse angle. <laughs> Due to reasons beyond his control and like just like his body wearing down, I think the end... As far as AEW concerned, was great, but I think for the other belts was a well for the Triple E R title, it definitely was a bit of a bit of a damp squib. But if I'm looking exclusively just at the AEW title reign, thumbs up. I would put the thumbs at like an obtuse angle, like I said. I think the one that most succeeded in everything that it planned to do from start to finish is probably the John Moxley reign. That's the best one. Yeah. I mean, I said it more in the Hangman episode. I We didn't see best bout machine, Kenny Omega, outside of arguably his match against Brian Danielson. Mm. And that wasn't even for the title. Obviously, we have the exploding ring, which is something outside of our reins of control. Maybe we're never going to see that Kenny Omega. <sighs> Maybe he genuinely hasn't got there, isn't there anymore. But the very, very good Kenny Omega is still there. Yeah. <sighs> You know, you book him immediately to go after the TNA world title and just everyone's thinking Thanos. And everyone's dreaming it, but it's not in front of a crowd anyway. Yeah. You know, that that entire Impact run wasn't really ever in front of an Impact fan, for the most part, that I can think of. I, I, I think Kenny just takes a few months off. Maybe he comes back a bit refreshed. I don't know. Well, who knows? I mean, there's still a match that I still think he can do in an AEW ring that would draw... Thirty to 40,000 fans yeah. at a stadium. Whether that will happen, or if it does happen, whether it will happen in an AEW ring is more to be desired. <laughs> AEW versus New Japan, do you think it's a prominent part of storylines when people can travel? Or do you think it's just going to be more like Minoru Suzuki, Tomohiro Ishii turning up in AEW? It's not necessarily going to be a ratings grabber. It's something that we as nerds care about. But the people that are tuning in all the time, because apparently Britt Baker brings in record ratings or whatever, are they necessarily the people that are wanting to watch Miro versus Tomohiro Ishii? Well, <laughs> if you don't want to watch that, then you're stupid, in my opinion. But, 
no, I think it is more of a guest spot thing with one or two notable exceptions if the planets align and New Japan are comfortable doing it. I don't, I don't think see we'll all see. that level of stuff. Yeah. I don't think no I don't think full gear all out double or nothing or revolution or oh, definitely not revolution. I don't think any of those map pay-per-views are going to be a replay of Starcade 95 WCW versus New Japan. Yeah. Maybe one of the Clash of the Champions specials or whatever it's going to be. Mm. Is that going to be the only time they're on TNT now? Because AEW is moving to TBS. No, 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 no. Is it Rampage on TNT? Rampage stays on TNT. Dynamite moves to TBS. I think that's where the TNT championship is going to be housed. Yeah. That's how it's going to be. That is the thought. What is Rampage going to look like in a year's time? Is it going to be Sunday Night Heat? Or is it going to be One Hour Smackdown? In 2000, basically, is what I'm saying. What do you think? I think they're going to aim for more one-hour SmackDown. I... So you still think pivotal storylines, angles... Yeah, because I don't see a roster split. If, if No, it's not about it being a roster split. My point is this is 2000 WWE. My point is, is it like SmackDown in 2000 was pretty much as important as Raw? Okay, yeah, no. Whereas Sunday Night Heat was by then half job, mostly jobber matches. That's my no, point. Okay. It's not a split roster. Yeah. Sorry, I've yeah, yeah, I've worded that poorly. What I meant by that is, if they split the roster, I feel that would happen in this case. I don't think they will. There's not roster splits are nothing to do with this. Get roster splits out. No, mind. no, no. But what, what my what, point? No, no. That's nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with this is roster splits. My point is, if in the middle of rampa in the middle of next year. Rampage, could Rampage host CM Punk doing a promo off with Eddie Kingston or CM or a version of CM Punk making a debut? Or is it just going to be six-man tags, a woman's match, and a TNT title defense? That's my point. Is it just going to be mid-card, upper-mid-carders, and if a main event turns up, he's doing just an eight-man tag or a six-man tag. Uh, That's my point. Non-significant storylines are not happening on Rampage, is my point. Outside of TNT titles. No, I, I still think little things will happen. But my point is, will Rampage at this point be clearly made as the B-show and you don't put an A-show moment like a CM Punk? If someone mega comes to AEW... From now on, are they going to be coming on to Dynamite, not Rampage? That was just early doors, get people watching Rampage. Now it seems like the ratings are settling at 500,000 for Rampage and about a million for Dynamite. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like, if you, so you're like a star. And AEW just accepting that as fate and therefore Dynam- Rampage is half as important as Dynamite is. I, I, okay, so the AA star stuff probably will be more Dynamite only. I think he'll try and balance it as best as he can. I, f- I think he's trying to just see it as an extra hour of TV rather than a diminished hour of TV. My point... Okay, so say you had to bring your three hours of wrestling a week down to two hours. Do you think that probably will mean if you're just going to make an assumption, not just, like, not going to know stuff in advance, you have to assume... Simon, you've got to drop one of your hours of watching wrestling the three hours. And you can't just pick and choose. You've got to, cho- you know, which one are you dropping? Okay. I'm guessing it's the rampage. It, it would be, it would be the rampage, page. yes. Exactly. That's the point I'm trying to make. 
Rampage is the third most important hour of AEW television going forward. That's my point. They won't like just abandon it to the wild. It won't just be like an afterthought. It'll be somewhere between 2000 Smackdown and 2000 Sunday Night. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. There we go. No roster splits. We're not talking about roster splits. I'm curious to see if WWE gets rid of the roster splits. I can see that happening. With the amount of people they sack, yeah. <laughs> if you keep gutting that, you know, what's there going to be left? And finally, any other business, really. I don't have anything else with AEW I think I want to talk about. The Exploding Ring is fascinating how little people think about that now. But do you think they'll try and do another Exploding Ring match, but they'll get it right this time? Not for a long time. Any other business? New Japan... The fact that it doesn't, you know, there was one G1 Climax match we had to talk about during all the five stars this year. Shingo Takagi was like the one bright light. And it feels almost with the way Kazuchika Okada is behaving, that 2022 is going to be a big hit restart. I think the thing that disappointed me the most about New Japan this year was how little they built off of the Jay White that we saw at Wrestle Kingdom. I know. And... They're splitting their roster and putting so many of those guys. You know, Jay White's basically been in New Japan USA for the year. Next to nothing to do with New Japan. And that's left the Bullet Club in the control of the House of Torture. And boy, has it been torture. Mm. Well, a lot of people are um, speculating that comes to an end soon. Maybe. But is that speculation or is that just hard? (laughs) Are they trying to manifest it into existence? Is that that praying? Is that people putting stuff on their press, whatever that thing is? Yeah, whatever Ryback was into. Oh, visualizing yeah, he, love, he's, he loves the secret, does Ryback. Well, here's the secret to you, Ryback. The secret's a bunch of bollocks. Anyway, I don't really want to talk that much about New Japan. We lost, they, they were just cursed. They were cursed that year. The world title gets a negative reaction from the crowd, with, well, from most people with the belts. You know, Kotobushi, they spend all that time building up, lose it on his first defense against Will Ospreay, well, after El Desperado, but, you know, with that belt. And then Ospreay almost immediately has to vacate it due to injury. And then it goes to Shingo Takagi, who steadied the ship, but not by much. It, he was supposed to face Kazuchika Okada. Okada goes down with COVID, so he has to face Hiroshi Tanahashi in the Tokyo Dome in front of, like, 5,000 people at most. Yep. Their roster's been gutted. They had to have a G1 Climax with Chase Owens in it. Yeah. If that's not a sign, I don't know what is. Yujiro Takahashi actually won matches in this G1 Climax. You know, that's how bad it was. And then the final, Kotribushi doesn't even get to finish the match. He injures himself off of a Phoenix Splash. And now Kazuchika Okada's been carrying around the old IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Around his shoulder. That's always been significant. Not in his, Not around his waist. On his shoulder. Is this going to be the Bobby Ewing in the shower of pro wrestling? If if he wins the first against Takagi and then against Osprey, or 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 the Mister Burns Smithers version? Because like Palmy gets the sense that if Osprey had beaten had not been injured, he would have been world champion still, and that maybe they were going to try and have him replicate the original the the Great Okada title run possibly. And so that's why I'm, I think Okada's going to beat Takagi. But I'm not convinced he'll beat Osprey at January 5th. I'm not convinced. So that's going to be the big question. And obviously now New Japan reopening things with Noah. But then they book a card that's just basically all six-man, eight-man, ten-man tags. So it's not exactly the most exciting thing. But 
maybe this will build something, maybe it'll be a one-off. Maybe every year, if we're going to get three-night Wrestle Kingdom, the third night's just going to be them against Promotion X. Maybe 2023, January 8th, is going to be New Japan versus AEW, or Dragon Gate, or AAA, or, well, CMLL. We don't know. It's all up in the air, that's the thing with New Japan. We might just not even give a fuck about it for much longer, unless Dave Meltzer gave it five stars. Yeah, I know, I know. feels sad, but what can you do? Like The UK scene, I think we might see some big changes in 2022. Most of the people in the speaking out thing have been not brought back, but some in some places. Mm. Who are the prominent riders and everything has yet to be shown? They really, really want Ricky Knight Jr. They seem to be pairing him to be the one to beat Osprey for the Rev Pro title and building it around him, whether that pays off or not. I mean, he's a knight, so things can go very badly with them. Not. So, we'll see. We'll hopefully go and see something ourselves next year. So, you know, we've got a few things that we'd like to do. I don't want to be a, Deli, things... a Debbie Downer, but I am knocking on wood hard right now for that. Yeah. But uh, 2021 on our front, we brought in Silver Screen Visions. We've got some new ideas. We've got some big projects. Whether we're going to go with them or not, we don't know yet. I'll give you the titles, and if they happen, we'll let you know. But two of the, well, three of the titles we've got in our minds is maybe doing some video content about us going to wrestling shows. We don't know yet. We don't have a pun for that yet. <laughs> I don't know, hitting the spots maybe. I don't know. We might do G1 July. We've talked about doing that, where we watch every match, every G1 Climax final. Oh, give me the biggest heart attack with that then. When you said match, I'm like, Jesus. No, just the finals, just the finals. (laughs) But that might be difficult. We'll see. The other one that I want to do, if just because when I came up with the pun for it, maybe uh, towards mid-March, you might hear the start of once a Wrestlemania. If we don't do it this year, I think we'll definitely do it for Wrestlemania 40, because then you do the 40 days of 40 nights. <laughs> with the concept being that we watch a match from every Wrestlemania, with the rules being that we can't repeat any wrestler in ring. They can be a, back, a manager or a referee or whatever, but they can't be a wrestler in the match. I've already come up with three playlists of potential ones. I've set Simon the Challenge to do one. On the match of the week front, I have already made a list of matches that I want to cover. Simon will be making his list, and we will work from that for the rest of the year, depending on what five-star matches and everything we get coming in. I want to go back and do Monday Night Wars again. We've literally been a year since we've done that, so we'll have to... I like the fact it's... Yeah, I would have to dig deep to think about it and stuff, but I like the fact it's been sat there. Maybe I'd like to come back with fresh eyes on it. Just dating. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the other thing? Yeah, Silver Screen Visions, we've got ideas. We don't want to just do films. We'll do some TV stuff. The next one we've got planned will be a double bill of two TV ones. And we'll do a series, either Heels or Season 1 of Glow. Or maybe if I can, if the place that I found it is still there, I would really like to talk about Rumble. <laughs> I don't know what Rumble is. It was a mid-90s BBC primetime drama series about the on- the goings-on of a wrestling promotion with Brian Glover, a.k.a. Leon Arras, from the Les Keller Oh, match. cool. And Leslie Joseph, a.k.a. Doreen from Birds of a Feather. <laughs> oh, yes. 
So that will be fun to talk about. So it might be that one. I think that's pretty much it. We'll continue to do weekly outputs as long as we can. If life gets in the way, if other things get in the way, then we won't. But we will also try as best as we can. I would like to do some video content in 2022. I suppose that would be my number one goal. Some sort of video content. That does unfortunately mean you seeing my face. <laughs> Not so much a problem for Simon's face. Oh, stop it. I, I will. <laughs> um, so, Simon, is there anything else you wanted to no, add? No, uh, as much as I'd like to add more stuff, I, I think we're getting towards the time of year where I ritualistically embarrass myself over the next 12 months. <laughs> well, first of all, before that, I'll just quickly go through all the five-star matches we talked about in 2021. Because after that, we're going to give our top three matches of the year. Well, I'm going to give my top three. I don't know how many you've done. Uh, I've written down three. I will probably okay. change my mind as I'm hearing this list. So these were the matches that were rated five stars by Meltzer. Not necessarily five star by both of us, but probably was if it was Simon. So as I said, we started off the year with five five-star matches in one week. My guess is we might see three in the first full week of January this year. Three is the number you've like sort of put mm-hmm. penciled in in our chat. Yeah. But, so what we had from Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 was Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay, a match we'll probably see on Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, I think. And then Tetsuya Naito against Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships. Then on the 5th of January, we got Shingo Takagi against Jeff Cobb for the Never Openweight Championship. And then Kotrabushi versus Jay White for the heavyweight and intercontinental titles. And then we had Kenny Omega, an early defense of the AEW world title on the 6th of January, AEW Dynamite against Ray Phoenix. Then we had Shingo Takagi facing Hiroshi Tanahashi for Takagi's never openweight championship on the 30th of January. So all of January was just five-star matches. By the time we finished all those from the first week, we had one from the last <laughs> week. Then the next five-star match that we had was the New Japan Cup clash between Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. That was good. Then we had Will Ospreay in the final against Shingo Takagi. Always good. Then after that, we had the Young Bucks defending the AEW Tag Team Championship against the hastily substituted in team of Pac and Ray Phoenix. Yes. Yep. It was then that we had the four and three quarter star match in the eyes of Dave Meltzer between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. So that was in 2021. Then we have another Osprey Takagi match. This time, Osprey defending his uh, newly acquired IWGP, or was it for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship? I've run out of memories of these things. And I think that was another one that went past the five star rating. Then we had the next five star match was. Yutami Hayashishita against Suri in Stardom, the first yes. Joshi match that we had. So whilst Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker weren't quite able to do it, Hayashishita and Suri were able to. We'll be seeing more Joshi matches getting five stars. By the end of this year, potentially, there is still one card that Meltzer hasn't reviewed yet, I think. Or maybe next year. Or maybe someone in w- in North America will be able to crack that, finally. Then we had Takagi defending against Hiroshi Tanahashi, the IWGP World Heavyweight title at Tokyo Dome. Then we had the first WWE match, the only of 2022 when 
2021 NXT match to get five stars, and it was an NXT UK match. Oh, yes. Although it was on an NXT card where Volta defended his UK championship again against Ilya Dragunov. Oh, that was a really good match. Then we had the Young Bucks against the Lucha Bros in a steel cage. So good. The only G1 Climax match to get five stars or higher this year, which was a block match between Shingo Takagi and Tomohiro Ishii. Brian Danielson fought a 30-minute draw with Kenny Omega, the first Danielson match to ever get five stars. Then we were in AAAR. And we could barely keep our eyes on the screen for fear of getting seizures, like in that Simpsons episode, as the Lucha Bros defending their AAAR tag team titles against El Hijo del Velkingo and the Laredo Kid. And then it was Christian Cage and the Jurassic Express against the Super Click on the same night that we also had Kenny Omega against Hangman Page. Yeah, and then we rounded it off with Hangman Page against Brian Danielson in a sixty-minute time limit match. Those are some of the obvious candidates. Maybe there were other matches that didn't get five stars from Meltzer that got into our list. We'll have to wait and see. So, Simon, do you want to give your three, and I'll give my three? Oh, I'll yeah. Okay. Um, I'll go first. What was your number three? Omega versus Danielson. I went with Page versus Danielson. So you went with a thirty-minute draw. I'm a person that has a bit more stamina. And went with the 60-minute draw. <laughs> what was your number two? Lucha Bros versus Young Bucks. I went with Jay White versus Coach Ribushi. That's my number one. Wow. Well, if Jay White had then gone on to become the star that it looked like he was about to become, instead of being stuck in New Japan USA, because they still want that to happen. But my number one was Volta versus Dragunov, which was also my match of the year for 2020. And I think it's just a form of wrestling that I like most of all. Because I said, like, you know, if you had your pick, I think I said, would you rather have Young Bucks, Lucha Bros version of wrestling or this version of wrestling? And uh, we did do this. Yes. Yeah. We picked our sides. I don't know if Jay White versus uh, Coach Ibushi was the perfect hybrid of those two. No. But that was my favorite match. That was my favorite type of wrestling. It was one of my favorite uses of a superplex spot that didn't involve... I mean, even Danielson, Hagman Page, I remember listening to Jim Cornette's discussion of the match, and even he said, you can't be seen to negotiating. You very clearly, when you're doing those top rope back superplexes, you're visibly negotiating with one another. Mm. Well, the way that Ilya Dragunov managed to snap off a superplex in that match was one of my favorite spots in any match for a long time. And just, that's a, that's a, I mean, I need to watch more WXW, I guess, from the 2010s. And that might entertain me. A, there's a rabbit hole you could end up going down. Maybe there'll be a match of the week for next year. Although it's not in any of my 12 matches. So, Simon, do you want to go Mount Rushmore's or predictions? Shall we go Mount Rushmore or, pre- I don't know, up to you. Ooh, well, we always like to look to the future at the end, so we'll do Rushmore. Okay. We'll do Rushmore. Uh, I have five backup ones so even if you used all of mine i'm gonna have ones i'm just gonna have used as like honorable mentions okay i have two backups okay do you want to go through yours now and then we'll my backups are technically this hasn't happened yet but it's been announced so i'm counting it purely because of what a testament to like human strength it is it's the return of uh katsuri shibata that was one of my backup ones 
I have written down, and I, I, t I can't believe I like blanked on this, but uh, thankfully you jogged my memory, and it did slot into backup position. I have that Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk promo off. Those are my two backups. I tried to do an even split because I don't want to be like bagging on WWE all the time. I'd forgotten the, what the start of the year was. Like I'd forgotten Abushi White was like Wrestle Kingdom at the start of this year. I, f I think I forgot January. <laughs> One of the things I did remember. There's a reason we wanted to forget January. Yeah, I'm gonna have Edge's Rumble win. Um, it's it's pure nostalgia, pure like. Entered at number one. Got a little Christian yeah. cameo in there as well before he headed off to AEW to outwork yeah. everyone. <clears throat> it was just a, ni a nice little heartwarming moment for me, really. Same for my second WWE pick. It's a twofer. I'm getting away with it because they are technically still members of the same faction. I'm going to crowbar in Big E's title win and Xavier Woods becoming king of the ring. You can only have one of them. Ah, Big E's title win then. Bigger. The return of CM Punk. A man who's... He's, he's come back home. Wrestling is his home. But my um, my my Washington of the of the Rushmores is the culmination of the Hangman title chase. The Hangman title win. Okay, that was another one of my backup ones. So I have three unique ones. I'll just give my backup ones. The first one was New Japan announcing the Wrestle Kingdom Night Three was going to be them against Noah. Whether that's a sh just a one-off thing or whatever. And also then the disappointment of the announcing of the actual card. That factors into the Ah, well. yes, yes. So that's like a very New Japan thing. Like everything you think is going to be a bit positive suddenly has to be dashed with a slight disappointment. I've got uh, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole debuting for AEW on the same night. That was my backup one. And my WWE backup one was... The Rock turning up in egg form. <laughs> You're obsessed. It just said so much about WWE. Parley's not the, not even necessarily the best moments. It's the definitive moments. And that's why I've gone for the four most definitive moments. One for each of the main promotions that we talk about in this. And one that will have huge ripple effects. Possibly across wrestling. And is a significant event on a personal level. And in general. If you've said the egg again, no. I'm going to throttle. No. <laughs> the one event that I wish we'd talked about more was Ring of Honor releasing all its talents. And in theory dying and to be reborn in April. My guess is it's going to be like a storyline less promotion with maybe a champion. Because we've now got Jonathan Gresham and Bandido booking themselves to defend the titles. Their Ring of Honor titles on different shows. Hmm. So you'd assume that one of them is going to turn up on Ring of Honor TV. But I've said to you, I think maybe what Ring of Honor TV is going to become is like a, an American version of World of Sport. Where it's like two matches with top indie talent. And then... I think Ring of Honor may not exist in a year's time. Obviously there's the whole thing about where the tape library goes after that. But for this version of Ring of Honor, and it was painted, and on the 20th anniversary, just coming up to it, you know, it was born in February 2002, and that it might have died in December of 2022. AEW might have on their roster the AEW tag champs, the AAAR tag champs, the Ring of Honor tag champs, and the PWG tag champs, if the story goes that Brody, uh, Brody King has signed for 
AEW to form a team with Malachi Black, with whom they are the PWG Tag Champs. So that's my first one, Ring of Honor releasing all of its talents and saying that it's their final battle and maybe they'll come back, but not really saying how yet. So that version of Ring of Honor being dead, and whatever it is now is going to be completely different to what it was. The unveiling of the new IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. The response and the seeming curse that it's carried ever since then. If you want to hear us talk more about it, you've got the Championship Belt episode, where, as maybe a key statement about that, that our definitive Mount Rushmore Championship Belt was the one that's currently on Kazuchika Okada's shoulder. Um, My WWE one is the birth of NXT 2.0. Oh, okay. And my overall one, my AEW one, and our shared one is the return of CM Punk. It literally made grown men cry. Yep. And they got ice cream. Mm. So, let's now embarrass ourselves preemptively. I have four backup predictions as well. So, Simon, you go first. And then to make sure that we don't overlap at all. Okay. I have two backups. Whether or not you'll hear them depends on how much we overlap. I've tried to do a good blend of promotions. So, prediction number one. I think a lot of people think this might happen earlier. But I'm going to say Wardlow to turn on MJF in the second half of this year. One of them you're going to know within a few days of release. Whether or not I'm right. And we've sort of alluded to it. A card to sweep Wrestle Kingdom and bring back the old belt. And does that therefore also mean that he dissolves it and there's an intercontinental championship that's vacant? Which then Will Ospreay can win, so I'm only out by a year. <laughs> yes. Oh, I hate doing negative ones, but I don't see how this doesn't happen. Considering the, the, the cuts and the slashing of the WWE budget... NXT UK to be wound up. And a bit left field. They may have already done one. I'm just going purely off the size of the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, But GCW to run a 4,000 to 5,000 seater arena. Because the Hammerstein, according to Wikipedia, is 2.2 thousand. Okay, you've taken two of my predictions. I did have Okada uncoupling the IWGP world title. And I did have NXT UK being discontinued. How about I claim one of those, so you lose one of using your you use one of your two backups. Okay. So I'm going to claim NXT UK is discontinued. Ooh. Okay. I think the Okada one's a little bit too easy, and there's no fun in that because it will be decided one way or the other by the end of this next like in okay, two weeks. Okay. So you're going for like the long, long. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. I can see NXT UK continuing, if only to like give Triple H a scrap. And also because I wonder if it's low cost enough and image conscious enough of them having an internationalist outlook that that's its own value as far as wanting to sell it. Yeah. Do you remember when he had that? Oh, was he on stage and he had that picture of all the different yeah, countries? Oh yeah. Oh my God. But, I mean, when the NXT UK tries to go on the road again, I don't even think their TV tapings, if they open them up to an audience, is going to sell nearly any tickets. There is, I've no, I've no idea what's going on in NXT UK. Even though my favourite match of the year was an NXT UK Championship match, that's the only NXT UK match I watched all year, and it wasn't even on an NXT UK program. Okay, now I'm going to use one of my backups in the interest of trying to be different, and the fact that you've given me 
uh, uh, the well, you yeah, you've said I can keep the um, New Japan one. I won't yeah. use my backup New Japan one. So what was your backup New Japan one? A Dominion to involve Stardom and or Noah. Well, they already have Star. Okay, yeah. Okay. Well, Noah talent would make sense. Like you think that? Well, do you? Th- okay, let's say you think there'll be a significant singles or tag team match on Dominion involving New Japan versus Noah. Yes. Shall we put it that way? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be very, like, clear. I don't want to, like, say, oh, they might just have a Noah bloke on it. I think there will be a... Yeah, because, like, the Stardom can just be a pre-show match that's not even on the telly, which is what they're doing, what they've continued to do with Stardom. Yeah. Noah needs to be... It's got to be something like Katsuhiko Nakajima challenging for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Kazuchika Okada. Something along those lines. In a major... Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, what was your other backup prediction? Just so we know, because I can then save it's one of my two official predictions that I've got left. I don't think it will be. Uh, my other one was the what. So the one I am going to have to use is Brom Breaker to be called up to the main roster by September. Okay, I didn't do that. So, the one that I am going to push in will be a New Japan prediction, but I'll save that. I got two AEW predictions. One is that Cody Rhodes will challenge for the AEW World Championship in 2022. He'll break the promise. Okay, yeah, 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 I can see it. There's a feasibility to that. You could even do it. Like, you might as well go into it and have it be, like, in his eyes, this is this great... He finds a way through, like, Lex Luger winning the 94 Royal Rumble. Like, he finds a way, surreptitiously, to get the championship. Or, like, when Tanahashi said he'd never challenge Okada for the belt again, but then he beats Styles for the belt, and then he's facing Okada for the belt, you know? So that's how it, that ended up happening. So that's my first AEW one. My second AEW one is that AEW will release talents insofar as they might let the contract expire and not re-sign them. Figures like Brian Cage, figures like Kip Sabian, people like them. Like, it might not even have to do the, their further endeavours, but they won't keep them on board. I'm not sure if Kip Sabian is still recovering from surgery. Mm. So this isn't like Jimmy Havoc, who's just not there anymore. It's like actual, they will actively decide they need to make roster cuts. Okay. And he'll be one of the ones that they cut. So those are my two AEW. I'll give you my backup ones. I had too many AEW ones. My other backup one was going to be that CM Punk will win the AEW World Championship. My other prediction was we would see Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada 5 but I wouldn't specify it's in an AEW ring or a New Japan ring. Ah, okay. My other one was that WWE would re-sign at least two talents that they let go in their big release thing. Maybe Braun Strowman as one of them, but on a lower contract, you know? They're not getting paid as well. Maybe. So those were all my backup ones, but the one that I'm promoting to the main one is, I guess it's an AEW and a New Japan one. So it's a combination, and that is that Brian Danielson will enter the G1 Climax and will reach the final. I won't say that he'll win the final, but that he'll reach the final. Okay. I'll be very happy if that does come true. I will say that much. But what the listeners will be happy to know is that this is the end of this episode now. But if people want to get in touch with you because they just can't get enough of what we've been saying, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm signing the Simon Cross Free. Free? For the number of times I desperately tried to pick out the person who would dethrone Roman Reigns and drew a blank. 
My name's Lorcan Munnan. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in the start of Anus Mirabilis. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But for the next episode, for our first episode of 2022, we're going back to our big project from 2019, because we've been able to plug a little gap in the Meltzer five-star listings that we missed the first time because it wasn't available through various means. But a good gentleman, who we're not going to name drop in case he gets his channel erased, has uploaded one of those matches in question that we were missing from our list. We're going back to that mainstay of five-star wrestling back in the day. Before there was New Japan. Before there was AEW. There was All Japan. And it's All Japan six-man tag action. It was really All Japan six-man tag action that got us excited about the promotion. That was the one that really made us fall in love. And some of those people are involved in this match, but maybe on different sides or as different factions. It is Genichiru Tenru's leading his faction teammates of Samson Fuyuki and his young student, his Padawan, Toshiaki Kawada, Against the Saruta Goon trio of Jumbo Saruta, Yoshiaki Yatsu, and the shithouse himself, <laughs> Masanobu Fushi. 28th of January 1989, if you're trying to look it up. But until then, after that it will probably be five stars for the rest of the month. And then we'll do a silver screen visions. And then we'll start really trying to... Tear into our match of the week before, I guess, WrestleMania wants a Dania, if that were to happen. We haven't yet confirmed it. But until all these things can be decided, there's nothing left to say at this point or for the rest of 2021, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great year. Until the next year. TV. Let's all be proud to be here and knock them dead. Nashville, wake your ass up. You're going to see some shit tonight. Big wide again, Brett. Super wide. No ring. No ring. So actually, no, you can give me a little ring. Add font one. Read it. Ready to lose the font. Lose the font. Ready to dissolve seven. And dissolve seven. Take seven, go!